The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. What's up, Bill's Mafia? Kevin Syracuse live here on Buffalo Fanatics with you alongside Zach Vaughn as we have the Writers Club back in action as it is about to be a new league year and that means we have a lot of content coming up for you right here on the Writers Club on Buffalo Fanatics. Man, I am so pumped to be back in the saddle here doing this. You know, we've been doing our spaces, Zach, and obviously we've been coming out with a lot of articles and like I said, we're going to have a lot more coming up, but to be able to have our own show to talk about what we're writing about and what the Bills are doing, I'm pumped for this. Yeah, it's it's one thing to put it pen to paper, but to get behind a mic and talk for a couple hours and just try to sum up what we've been saying and also even go a little bit on tangents maybe, who knows, maybe a little nonsense, but mostly business here. I'm excited to be part of it. Yeah, so once again, this is the BF Writers Club. You guys probably remember us from over the summer. We did this with Rev Hosting, but now I am happy to say that I will be hosting. I am also the assistant editor here. And as you can see, based on our tags here, Zach is the editor-in-chief. So he will be doing some co-host with me. And then we have Bryce Martino coming along tonight. And uh, he's going to share what he's been writing about. And he's been doing some great work talking about a bunch of the Bills free agents. The Bills have 21 free agents. I guess that's a little bit different now. You know, there, there was a move that was made on Friday. We'll get into that as the show goes on here. But a lot of free agents that the Bills have to take care of. So Bryce has been taking a deep dive into those guys and talking about whether or not the Bills should bring them back or not. So we're going to talk about that. And then I came out with an article uh, just a couple days ago talking about the top five trade candidates for the Bills, as you can see by the title of the show tonight. So we are going to dive into that. Um, so yeah, that, that's basically the layout of this. We're just going to run through. It's going to be every Sunday night at 8.30. Tonight, I know it's 9 o'clock. You know, just uh, getting our feet wet here, getting everything figured out. But it'll be every Sunday night at 8.30. I'll be hosting. We'll have Zach along. Bryce will be on. And then we'll see how many of our other writers we will be able to get. Because, you know, we figured no Sunday night football anymore. So what else is there to watch? You can watch the BF Writers Club, right, Zach? Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's also XFL football, but for those of you who aren't too interested in it or want to have it muted in the background, come hang out with us. <laughs> I was going to say, I know you and Bryce are into the XFL. I have yet to get into it. I know there are some players that I know and you know, we've been talking about in our group chat. But real quick, do you have any thoughts on the XFL before we get into the NFL here tonight? I just want to say, first off, that obviously – it's a spring football league. Nobody really expected it to be on par with the NFL at all. I think it's very entertaining football to watch. Like the gameplay has been pretty interesting. There have been really good games. Even the low scoring ones end up getting exciting. They rev up in the second half. And it's because they have their unique rules, the unique scoring, unique onside conversion instead of an onside kick where it's 
you get a fourth and 15 play. If you convert it, you keep it and keep going. And, and if you turn it over, it's basically the same as just an onside recovery for the other team. Stuff like that. They're experimenting with stuff that I think the NFL needs to at least take a gander at in terms of rules going forward. And I know they flirted with some of it in the past. And I'm putting you on the spot here, but do you have five players that have really come out and surprised you? I know AJ McCarron is one of those guys. I saw what Josh Gordon scored a touchdown the other night. So are there five players that you can list just right off the top of your head who you're looking at saying, man, this guy deserves another shot in the NFL, or this guy has really just shocked the scene. Well, you definitely name one of them, Josh Gordon. He's been dominating. And speaking of, Josh Gordon, like he's been tearing it up. He has shown that he is still that really good player that we remember from the early 2010s. I think he does does warrant another shot. Obviously, his age could be a bit of a factor as to where he ends up or if he gets another opportunity. But I think there are some younger players too. Like there's Jacor Pearson. I believe he is on Seattle as well. He is also Josh Gordon's teammate. He has done really well. Uh, ben DiNucci, the former Cowboys backup, he's the starting quarterback for Seattle. Obviously, right now I'm mentioning the Seattle team because they're a very good, they're a very good team. Coached by June Jones on offense, they've been killing it. Ben DiNucci is leading the league in passing yards right now. Um, a couple other players, uh, Jeff Bidet, he's on the Vegas Vipers. He's like a speedier guy i think he's has some return experience he's been playing the slot and doing really well and also uh vic beasley got to give an honorable mention to him he's been creating been creating some pressures over the last couple weeks he's doing well uh kalen ballage and former dolphins running back he's done some stuff too but i do have like a sneaky tight end and that is the dallas renegades tight end Sal Capanella, he was, or Camella, or not sure how to pronounce his last name, but he was in the USFL last year, and he had, he's had a couple pretty good games the last few weeks, and uh, he actually reestablished some of his chemistry with teammate Kyle Sloter earlier today. And the last question I have for you about the XFL before we get into the Bills here, what is the schedule like? Because I feel like there's always games going on, and obviously the NFL is strictly Sundays and then you get the Thursday and the Monday night primetime sometimes Saturdays but what days do we have games in the XFL yeah so the XFL they basically they're just trying to touch on the usual days that you have football so like they're last week they had a Thursday night game and then Saturday and then Sunday most weeks it's Saturday and Sunday I'm not sure if they were going to have any Monday night games in the next couple weeks but it's a 10 week regular season. They kind of like alternate and fluctuate the number of games on a day. Like today was the first day where they had three Sunday games, but all I know is it's just something I want to watch and something I definitely am recording on my YouTube TV. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I will have to see if I can catch a game because after the bill season ended, I just went full on Sabres mode and then I started getting into the NBA again. I'm a Knicks fan. The Knicks have been surprisingly well this year. And then I've been going to Bandits games. And now with baseball starting again, okay, I need a little bit of time off from football after that draining season. But, you know, like I said, we're back into it now. And 
Speaking of which, let's get into it here with the Bills, because, Zach, I want to start off by talking about something that happened last week that I think was pretty shocking. Maybe not shocking because of what the move was, but because of the timing of it. And that was the whole Leslie Frazier ordeal. So obviously, we all know by now that Leslie Frazier said he's going to take a year off from coaching and that he plans to return in 2024. And like I said, at the end of the season, I think a lot of us were hoping that that was going to be the case, that the Bills would have a new defensive coordinator. But now it's just the timing of it was very weird. It was the last day of February, right before, actually during the the NFL Combine. And first of all, I I hope Leslie Frazier is okay mentally, physically, health-wise, you know, all that stuff. Hope his family is okay and all that. But it's just very interesting trying to piece this all together. So what are your thoughts on that before I give my take here? Well, obviously, I think that, like you said, it was very sudden. That makes me believe that the intention was always to bring Leslie Frazier back. And Brandon Bean had even said as much during the media session that he would be the defensive coordinator if, you know, if he didn't if he didn't decide to step away. And what it also tells me is that perhaps I think that McDermott will just primarily take over the defensive play calling this year because everyone kind of forgets this is basically his defense. It's just how, how it's executed and called may differ a bit. We'll definitely get a true litmus test to see what was the problem and what was perfect about it, you know, for lack of a better word, we'll figure that out. And in terms of do they actually name an actual play caller or defensive coordinator, that's to be determined. But I think there are a few strong candidates on the coaching staff right now. Yeah, I agree with a lot of what you said there. Now, I'm going to take this back to the end of the – well, I was going to say the regular season, but the the end of the postseason, right after that Bengals game, I was saying, you know, I came out with a lot of articles saying how I'm not one to call for the firings of coaches or players or any of that stuff. But it has to get to a point where you say, how much more can we take before we, we make a change here? Because this was three years in a row where the Bills were falling short in the playoffs. And this is a main stat right here that was keeping me up at night. Boom, 107 points and 1,403 yards. That cannot happen. So over the Bills' last three playoff losses, they've given up 107 total points and 1,403 yards. That's almost 36 points per game and almost 468 yards per game. And I know you're going up against the top offenses. You're going up against Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow. And, well, really, yeah, that's pretty much all it's been is is – the Bills have met those teams the last few years here. But even if you want to go back to, to uh, 2019 when they lost to the Texans, they blew a 16-point lead in the second half. So there's just something about this defense that isn't able to put it together. And I know you could look at multiple different areas and say, well, the Bills had a lot of injuries this year or the whole DeMar Hamlin thing, the, the Hamlin situation threw them off. But again, it's just there, there's got to be a point where you say, There's a deeper problem here, and case in point with some of the screenshots that were 
surfacing on Twitter afterwards where, you know, again, that that's one of those things where you shouldn't say, well, you know, this is one play out of how many plays that the Bills run and they've had how many successful plays. But you look at that soft coverage that they're playing. It was third and four. I'll see if I can find it here while I'm talking. But it, it was third and four. And they're playing 10 yards off. They're giving arguably the best set of weapons in. Uh, I was trying I almost combined the names here. Jamar Chase, Tyler Boyd and T Higgins. It's third and four and the Bills DBs are playing 10 yards off the line of scrimmage. And you draft a guy like Kyrie Elam, who has that physical athletic ability to play press man coverage. And then you see it in the, the, the next week in the AFC championship game. Kansas City is playing press man coverage right up on the line. Third and two, they are right up in their faces. But the Bills are like, oh, no, we're just going to stay back here. And, you know, the analytics say that it's better to play at this distance because I didn't even read that because I'm sure you saw that stat where there was some analytical version of it that said, well, it actually makes more sense to give them this much cushion. And I was like, I'm not even going to try to figure out how that makes sense because the eye test says, what are you doing? play up on the line of uh, on the line of scrimmage you know so i think it just all comes back to the point that i was making where to get over the hump eventually you have to make a change and i think that was the change that we needed to see and like you said is this mcdermott's defense or is it frazier's defense and something about this this whole thing and the timing of it it makes me think that as much as frazier said that he wants to take the year off. I think they were being truthful when they said that, that Leslie Frazier called Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott and said, I think it's best if I take this year off. I think I'm trying to read through the lines. I'm not trying to speculate, but I would think that McDermott and Bean were trying to maybe say the same thing. And maybe that was just the nicest, most respectful way of saying you're fired or we need to go our separate ways. You know, like I, I, when I read that, I was like, maybe that's just a nice way of saying that the bills and Leslie Frazier mutually parted ways. I think the nice way of saying that would have been if they had said that the bills and Leslie Frazier mutually parted ways. So, I mean, I think that this must've been just like a genuine Leslie Frazier was just took some time after the end of the season and reflected and decided that he wanted to step away for a year. And Obviously, it would be weird to for a defensive coordinator to step away for a year, then be like, I want to come back to the same team where they've already established a new person in the post. But that's why, like, when it came out, you didn't see the phrase, like, we'll come back to the Bills in 2024. So, obviously, everything's in the air for him. And, obviously, he just wants to take a break, and that's fine. Take a... Let him take a break, get him, you know, regroup, recollect himself. And then if he wants to come back to coaching, I'm sure if the Bills defense falls into a dumpster fire, I'm sure McDermott will come back with open arms. If they happen to thrive in his absence, he finds an opportunity somewhere else with a new head coach, maybe a newer head coach. Like if somebody, a new hire needs an experienced guy, something like that. But well, be, before we get into what to expect from the defense moving forward and who could be calling those plays. I did find that picture. So here we go. <laughs> there it is third and four and look how far off they're playing. I just don't understand. And again, 
you shouldn't look at one play and say, well, it's easy to pick that apart. But look at 13 seconds. 13 seconds go by and Kansas City drives right down the field because, again, soft zone nickel coverage. And that was the thing where we're sitting there watching the Bengals and the Chiefs and then obviously the Chiefs and the Eagles. And that was just a masterclass of coaching on both ends by the Chiefs where it's just like, holy cow, the Bills really aren't that far off talent-wise. Yeah, you could make a case that the Bills need to build up their offensive line or they need to get another wide receiver, this or that. But the one thing that I took away from watching the NFL season after the Bills lost was that the coaching needs to improve a lot. So I I do like this move. Just getting a new voice, a fresh set of eyes in there, because I don't know if Frazier's telling them to play 10 yards off the line of scrimmage or if McDermott is, but something wasn't clicking. And, you know, I I don't want to get into the whole scapegoat talk, but at the end of the day, Leslie Frazier is the defensive coordinator. And I, I think he was calling the plays. We don't know for sure. But remember, there was that story that came out during, what, the 2020 season, maybe 21 or 19, one of those seasons where it said McDermott's going to start calling the plays more. And when he did, the Bills suddenly became more aggressive. And the reason I bring that up is because McDermott said at the Combine that he wants to have his defense that plays nasty. So, again, trying to read between the lines here, I really think that was Leslie Frazier's play calling. I think it's McDermott's defense but it's Frazier who's trying to relay the message to the players. So I don't think McDermott's this control freak. And he's like, no, this is going to be my show. I'm running the defense. I think he said, Leslie Frazier, you're my assistant. You're my defensive coordinator. Go put these guys in position. And to me, Frazier wasn't doing that. Yeah, that seems to be like a way that definitely one of the better ways to look at it. Like, Obviously, Frazier had a significant influence on the defensive play calls, and McDermott probably had a significant say on it as well. But it's more about, more or less about who was actually making the calls and who was saying, this is what I want to try to do, who was directly in the ear of Tremaine Edmonds barking in the plays and then having them line up and obviously again this year if Sean McDermott takes the defensive play calling or is more hands-on with it we'll definitely get a litmus test of who was more responsible for the past defensive success and failures well that's a good segue into the next topic I'm going to talk about here well subtopic because it's still the defense but Al Holcomb That is an interesting name because I covered this topic when it came out and the Bills hired him as a senior defensive assistant and the light bulb started going off in my head as soon as that happened because the Bills have Eric Washington as a senior defensive assistant. Now, Eric Washington is another guy who I don't think is getting enough attention in a negative way because he's also the defensive line coach. And look at those guys talking about guys like AJ Epinesa, Boogie Basham, at Oliver, even if you want to throw Greg Rousseau in there, all these guys that were drafted high, but where is the development of these guys? You know, th- these guys are supposed to be the future, like the, the crooks of this defensive line. And then you obviously go out and get Von Miller, but those four guys that I mentioned, and then if you want to throw anyone else in there too, they were really supposed to hit that next level. 
and I feel like they've all been either underwhelming or just average to above average. Like Greg Rousseau, yeah, he, he's been nice. But even someone like Rousseau, I just want to see more from him. So Eric Washington was the guy that we were talking about at the end of the year. I went on Rev's show and we were talking about it, how he should really be under fire as well. So when I saw that Al Holcomb news, I was like, this is interesting because now technically the Bills have two senior defensive assistants. So does that mean that they're going to strip that title from Eric Washington and just relegate him to defensive line coach? And then Al Holcomb is a new assistant. But then with the whole Frazier thing, now that turns it a little bit. And then I was also thinking, well, maybe Al Holcomb could be Frazier's replacement down the road. But that road ended sooner than I thought because now the Bills are without a defensive coordinator. So does Al Holcomb become the defensive coordinator and McDermott calls the plays? Like, do they give him a title or do we think McDermott just runs with this? It's very interesting because there are other names. I think McDermott even mentioned someone like Joe Dana, who just got hired as a safeties coach or Bobby Babbage. So they do have options, but just trying to piece this together and read between the lines. It's uh, a little perplexing. Yeah, it definitely is. But to kick off the, my take on Al Holcomb and that, I was listening to uh, Ty Dunn's latest podcast on Go Long, his podcast with Jim Manos. And Manos said that back in 2017 when McDermott was hired, it came down to Leslie Frazier and Al Holcomb for defensive coordinator. But that at the time, because McDermott was a rookie head coach, evidently he thought it was more valuable to have a veteran defensive coordinator, someone who's been around the block, who was a head coach who has experience at that time. It was more beneficial to have him on the staff than it was to go with a newcomer like Al Holcomb. And then Holcomb ended up going to Arizona with Steve Wilkes and followed him around at the next couple of stops back to Carolina. So it is interesting that Holcomb has found his way over to yeah. Buffalo now because it's almost like a full circle moment. And like you said, perhaps Al Holcomb was brought in to be Frazier's long-term successor, and that timeline could have been accelerated this past week with Frazier announcing he's stepping away for a season. And it would actually be, I think it would be a simpler process to just install Al Holcomb as defensive coordinator, even with McDermott calling plays or whatever, because you want to have somebody else. You want to have another voice in those defensive meetings in that room so that McDermott isn't overly focusing on the defensive side of the ball and then not worrying about game management stuff in game too. But yeah, that's a good point because that's another go ahead. I was going to say the other thing is too, though, is like if McDermott likes someone else to get the bump up, like Bobby Babbage, Eric Washington, God forbid, or uh, John Butler, then they could possibly have Al Holcomb slide in and fill the hole at that position which is something I saw in Tim Graham's latest piece on The Athletic about Frazier's departure. But I think it would be simpler just to put Al Holcomb in, name him. If they need to name him interim DC or something, whatever floats their boat, but just get something, someone in there who's not 
McDermott so he can focus a bit more on just being a leader, being a head coach, even if he has, ends up calling plays too. Yeah, that's a good point that you brought up with the game management because that's another area of McDermott's game that a lot of fans have been unhappy with. And first of all, before I get into this, let me just say, McDermott's not going anywhere. If anything, this strengthened his position because at the end of the season, people were saying, well, McDermott could be on the hot seat. We need another coach to take us over the edge. And a lot of people, myself included, was like, no, this guy's not going anywhere. This is his team. And now seeing how they're handling this situation where he could even have more responsibilities, that just, again, just kind of thrusted him up there to show this is Sean McDermott's team and he is not going anywhere anytime soon. I mean, yeah, if the Bills put a dud of a season together next year and what, they win eight games, then obviously we're going to start to have some conversations. We're going to have conversations if they can't get past the AFC Divisional game again. But at the end of the day, Sean McDermott's not going anywhere. This is his team. So I like how you said it might be smarter just to have someone in that role to take the pressure off of McDermott because I would love if this defense can get more nasty and aggressive. And I think that's what McDermott was alluding to. But like you said, with the whole game management thing, and we know how he has, he doesn't have a good history of winning challenges and calling timeouts and just a lot of the different things in late game situations where it might be better to have someone else be that voice on defense so that McDermott doesn't have too much going on in his head. So Al, Al Holcomb would be my, my lead candidate here because, like I said, Eric Washington was already the senior defensive assistant, and as far as I know, he didn't get that, that title stripped. Yeah, to be quite honest, like, again, we already talked about how Eric Washington's kind of underwhelmed, or at least his unit is underwhelmed. At this point, <laughs> you know, how much longer will he be D-line coach? You might as well let Vaughn Miller coach that unit because he was the one who got the most out of him when he was playing. But, I mean, I don't see him getting a promotion there. I think, again, Al Holcomb has just a vague title right now as senior offensive assist or defensive assistant. Just slide him in there, give him the year, see – see what happens and then like worst case scenario if all things if uh you know everything hits the fan in the wrong way then they can bring leslie frazier back but. and even if al holcomb is a defensive coordinator that doesn't mean that he has to call 100 percent of the plays maybe he can do some and mcdermott can do the other at the end of the day i just want this defense to be more nasty and aggressive like mcdermott alluded to because we cannot continue to to see this soft zone nickel coverage and that was the other thing about Leslie Frazier is that he was adamant about sticking to that nickel defense where teams like the Patriots where they what threw the ball three times last year where you knew that teams were going to be running the ball and he still said that's okay we're going to keep doing our thing and play nickel defense we're not going to put a third linebacker out on the field now that could be personnel reasons or whatever i mean that's a conversation for a different day about drafting someone like a terrell bernard but especially when they had someone like aj klein back they they did have the personnel to go with three linebackers if they wanted to but they just refused a lot of the times and i understand taron johnson is one of the best slot corners in the game he is a good run tackler but 
it's just this whole thing of being able to adapt and adjust because watching Kansas City, the way their defense played with all the rookies that they were playing and all the young guys, they would just throw in. It was a plug-and-play system, and it didn't matter. They had an answer. They knew how to stop Joe Burrow. They knew how to get pressure, and that was just something that the Bills couldn't do. So I just hope whoever's calling the plays for the Bills can just get that nasty out of them. And, and real quick, I just want to say for Al Holcomb, um, I had this in the article if you want to go back and, and look at that, but just to sum it up, starting in Carolina in, in uh, 2013, he was a linebackers coach for the Panthers when McDermott was there as the defensive coordinator. So he has worked with Luke Keekley and Thomas Davis before. So he is highly, highly touted with the linebackers. And then, like Zach said, he went to Arizona to be the defensive coordinator and assistant head coach with Steve Wilkes in 2018. He followed Wilkes to Cleveland. Wilkes was the defensive coordinator, and uh, Holcomb was relegated down to well, – not relegated, but he just uh, went there as the linebackers coach and run game coordinator. Then he went back to Carolina – from 2020 to 2022 as the interim defensive coordinator and assistant head coach. And now he is in Buffalo. So we will see what that brings. So do you have any uh, final thoughts about Al Holcomb, Zach, or just the, the defense in whole, any other players or coaches for that matter that we uh, haven't mentioned yet? I think we covered them all though, right? Yeah, I think we basically covered it. The last thing I'll say is, again, Holcomb would probably be my preferred choice to get the nod for D.C., but I think Bobby Babich has a strong case, and so does John Butler. And if you're wondering why we haven't mentioned Ken Dorsey's name yet, I'm sure we'll be getting there at some point because as much as we're saying that the defense needs to adapt and change and get more aggressive, well, the offense needs to evolve as well. But... And we'll, we'll have to save that conversation. I'm sure we're going to get into it once we bring along uh, Bryce Martino later in the show. And we're going to talk about some of these players, specifically some positions that when I was doing my player in review series where it was just mind boggling how the Bills use these guys. So, like I said, we'll we'll definitely get to Dorsey later on in the show. But for now, I want to talk about something that I think it turned out to be a pretty hot topic here as the week progressed here. I, I came out with that article a few days ago about the top five trade candidates for the Bills. And like I said, that's a, the title of tonight's show. So we're going to get into that here as we could have some trade candidates here. Now, again, this is just speculation, but as I was crafting this out, it's really not speculation to the point where I'm just writing this just for views or for clicks or for, you know, reactions. I think a lot of these trades could actually really happen. And again, looking at the details and going into it a little bit more, a good amount of these players could actually be on, on the block here. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, we're speaking hypotheticals, but again, anything can happen. It's the off season. It's a season of limitless possibilities, season of lying, if Brandon Bean could get a seventh round pick for Lee Smith, who immediately retired and a fifth round pick for Cody Ford in the preseason, who knows what he could pull out of the magic hat. Yeah. So, you know, I, I was looking through some of the comments and people were saying like, Oh, this just, you're going to trade him for a bag of chips. And the thing that I'll say here is that 
there's two main reasons for coming up with these trades here. One, to save money, but two, to get assets back. Now, the last I saw, according to Track, the bills are $18.7 million over the cap. Now, that doesn't take into consideration Ike Butker's deal. Again, we're going to get into that more uh, when Bryce comes on and what that means for the Bills' off- offensive line. We don't know the details behind his contract, but it's not going to be that much. But regardless, the Bills are, we'll just say roughly $20 million over the cap right now. So they have a lot of work to do before tampering period starts. Can you believe it? It's already a week from tomorrow. Oh, God. Time flies, especially <laughs> when you have alternative football to watch. <laughs> yeah. So a week from tomorrow at noon is when tampering period starts, and then uh, the new league year officially begins on Wednesday, March 15th at 4 p.m. And really, I think of Monday as the official start because there are so many deals that come in where on Wednesday, you know, as much as we say that could be like a national holiday, we already know what's going to happen. Although you could pull a J.D. McKissick and, uh, you know, not have the deal go through. But for me, Monday is like the, the big day where it's just like, all right, clearing my schedule. We're doing this all day. 12 hours of coverage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Monday is the unofficial official start of the free agency because, again, that's when the players and teams can officially, unofficially talk to each other and say, oh, we are possibly going to do this. We are likely going to do this. And then somebody like Washington could undercut that process by saying, hey, we want you back only because we found out what the Bills were going to offer you. Well, you know what? I'll say it right here, right now. The Bills will get their revenge from McKissick. They will sign Taylor Heineke as their QB too. How about that? (laughs) Hot take right there. Or as Rev would say, on my mama. Yeah, (laughs) there you go. (laughs) So, all right, let's get into it because we still have a lot to talk about here. Like I keep saying, Bryce Martino will be joining us on the back half of this uh, show here. So with these trade candidates, the Bills need to shave off money. And here's the other aspect of it that I put at the end of the article. They have over 20 free agents of their own. And with their limited cap space, And just due to the roster build and the ages of some of these players, a lot of these guys might not be back. So the Bills might need as many draft picks as possible to build their team for next year and beyond. Because, again, without a lot of money and with a lot of players, Jordan Poyer being one of them, right at the top, who who might be exiting in free agency, the Bills really might have to start building through the draft year. So making some of these trades could... Like I said, that, that could actually be a pretty good idea for the Bills. Yeah, I know. Especially because like you're up against the cap. You could use all the money you could get. Also, having some other contracts coming up down the line. It might be good to try to get as many younger pieces on the board as possible. Obviously, they would need to be pieces that you can start sooner rather than later, but... I would would be intrigued to see how if the Bills either trade players for picks or even trade down in, or up in certain areas in the draft as we get closer to that. Well, the Bills only have six picks right now, and one of those picks came from, like you said, Cody Ford somehow garnering a fifth-round <laughs> pick in return. So if Bean didn't work his magic, we'd be looking at five draft picks right now, 
And like I said, with over 20 free agents and not a lot of money, you're going to need more than five draft picks and you're going to need more than six. So I, I would really think that the Bills would try making at least one, if not two trades and trying to get some some assets back here. So I guess a question I have for you then is, who do you think is most likely to be on the trade block? Well, let's start from five down and work our way to number one, because I feel like a lot of people have the same idea of who could be the likeliest player to get traded. But in terms of the article, I'm going to go in order here. So number five, Naheem Hines. So a lot of us like Naeem Hines, and he did great for the snaps that he was given. And like I said, we're going to circle back to Ken Dorsey because here we go. Naheem Hines was acquired midseason for Zach Moss and a sixth-round pick, which turned into a fifth-round pick. And he had six rushes for negative three yards, five receptions for 53 yards, and a touchdown. He had 11 total touches on offense and played 11% of the snaps. How? How, how, how? I, I just don't understand. That is one of the things that is just most mind-boggling to me. I could run down the whole list here if you want to talk about James Cook, Khalil Shakir. Uh, I don't want to get into it too much because, like I said, we're, we're going to get into it as we go. Sweet immediate passing game. And the fact that Naeem Hines was an afterthought on offense and that we're paying him as of right now $4.8 million just to return kicks is, again, that's just mind-boggling to me. So you can restructure his deal. If you go to over the cap, you know, you, you can work that out and restructure and turn some of that money into signing bonuses. And I believe you can work it down to about $2.5 million, so that'd be a lot better. But I figured I'd put him on here because Hines is someone that I think teams would maybe want to go after. You know, he's a valuable asset, but the problem here is his contract. And who's going to want to trade for a backup running back that costs almost $5 million? So I have a couple of things I want to say to kind of rebut what you're talking about with Naheem Hines being a trade piece. First... Yeah, he only had 11 or so offensive touches, but like you said, he did kick returns, he did punt returns. He made a tremendous impact as a return man. He had 16 punt returns, 153 yards, 19 kick returns, 554 yards, two return touchdowns, obviously. Granted, both of those came in the same game, and it was an emotionally charged game, and I'm sure glad I was able to watch it. But he was the best return man we had since Andre Roberts. Remember, remember, he was a solid return man, Andre Roberts, ever since we've been trying to replace that consistency on the return game on special teams. We've been trying to find that consistent return man. We tried Isaiah McKenzie. He showed flashes, didn't really pan out, wasn't too consistent. We tried Khalil Shakir there. He showed he didn't really do that much. But Naheem Hines comes in, and he's our best return man since the last best return man we had, Andre Roberts. And I just pulled up Spot Track here, by the way. 
just to go back and tell, and let's talk about how much he made in his two years in Buffalo. He signed a two-year, $4.6 million deal in 2019 to come to Buffalo to be the return man. So he made $2.3 million a year. He was guaranteed $3 million at signing. I'm not saying that you got to keep Naheem Hines at 4 point whatever he's making, but he has no guaranteed money left, so he'd probably be willing to restructure and bring that cap hit down, and it may end up in that Andre Roberts range. So at the very at the bare minimum, you have an elite caliber return man who can also be a receiving back who has a ton of speed, who can also do some things in a gadget and whatnot. But I don't see the Bills trading him at all. Or if they do, they would have to get an offer they couldn't refuse for him. Yeah, that's how I finished it in the article, where I said he's number five on my list for a reason. At the end of the day, I don't see the Bills pulling off this trade, but just because of the cap hit and the assets that he would probably get in return, that's why I put him on the list. But I think something has to give, because you're not going to pay a guy almost $5 million just to return kicks. So either you keep him at 4.8 and you give him a lot more of the snaps on offense or you restructure his deal. And that way it's a little bit more justified when he's not getting a lot of the snaps on offense. And that could be another conversation that we could have. We'll we'll get into into it more with Bryce because Devin Singletary is a free agent that we're going to be talking about, but it'll be interesting to see how the bills handle that backfield because how are they going to split up the carries and hopefully they start using the screen game again and the short passing game, but it'll be interesting to see how they handle that and what they do with Hines. Because at the end of the day, like I said, I think he's on this team this next year. It's just a matter of how much will he be making? Yeah. Ultimately, I think that's what everyone's big issue is with Naheem Hines is the fact that he's got slated to make 4.8 mil this year. And, whatever much next year just to be an RB two who occasionally touches the ball and mainly does kick returns and punt returns. But again, that's what makes him such a likely restructure candidate. They restructure his deal, give him some guaranteed money, lower his cap hit each of the next couple of years. And then you have a solid RB two RB three, depending on what they do at the position going forward. So I think we'll leave it right there. I think that's a good way to leave off with Naeem Hines. It's just a matter of figuring out how important he is to your offense and how to get him more involved on offense because that was the main thing where they said, well, you know, it just uh, takes a little bit to get acclimated into the offense. And I'm sitting there thinking, really? Is it that hard to say run that way? Or, you know, just go out here for a screen pass, something that you've been working on probably ever since midget leagues or high school, you know? Like how hard is it to – Get a screen pass and then just follow your blockers and just run down the field. That's what you do on kickoffs, right? You run down the field. So I just hope that they can do something to get him more integrated because this could be a dynamic backfield. Even if they don't re-sign Singletary or even if they were to just roll out the backfield with James Cook and Naeem Hines, they have so much untapped potential that we just did not see this year. And again, not to get into it too much, but James Cook only had 89 carries and he averaged 5.7 yards per carry. So I need to see a lot more usage out of James Cook and Naheem Hines in both the run game and the passing game. Okay, moving on. Number four on my list, Isaiah McKenzie. 
This is another position that was underutilized because, Zach, here's the thing. Before we get into McKenzie specifically, the Bills added seven players between the slot and running back position, but they were an offense that had an identity of wanting to go deep consistently to guys like Gabe Davis and even Diggs, although that one is a little bit more justified because Davis only had a 52% catch rate. But the point that I'm trying to make in here is the Bills' play calling did not match up with their personnel. They started the offseason by re-signing Isaiah McKenzie, and then they signed Jamison Crowder. They drafted Khalil Shakir, and then they brought back Cole Beasley. So those are four guys in the slot. And then with the running back position, they first of all signed Duke Johnson. They tried getting Chase Edmonds. I'm sure you saw that from Tyler Dunn where he said Chase Edmonds would have been a Buffalo Bill if it weren't for the high New York State taxes. So they made it a point that they wanted to get a pass-catching, speedy, shifty running back. They get Duke Johnson, and then they draft James Cook, and then they acquire Naheem Hines. So those are seven players right there where you look at that roster and you say, oh, man, the Bills really want to take the pressure off of Josh Allen, and they want to get that short to intermediate passing game going, and they just want to be more of a dynamic offense and not so vanilla and just force it deep every time, right? Wrong. Isaiah McKenzie was just another one of these guys who was underutilized. And again, talking about the catch rate, Lil Dirty had his fair share of drops. But this is another conversation we could be having here, and I'm sure we're going to once Bryce comes on. Where was the usage from Khalil Shakir? You know, I'm under the impression that I want to see Khalil Shakir as a full-time starter next year in the slot. And if they do decide to keep McKenzie, use him as that backup slot receiver but then use him as that gadget wide receiver again, put him in motion, throw the defense off a little bit. So it's just not so vanilla on every single play. So that being said, either trading or cutting McKenzie with them $2.2 million. And that's not a lot, but same thing with Hines, a team might say, Hey, we'll give you a late day three pick for him. If you feel like he's kind of expendable based on what you want to do at the position this off season. Yeah, I think uh, I would. Uh, I I agree with that. Like at this point, McKenzie had his shot last year to solidify the slot role, and he didn't. Like there were times where he showed the same flashes he did in years prior. There were other times where he struggled mightily catching the ball, holding on to it, you know, making catches, all that. Obviously. That was the reason why I think a lot of people, especially on Bill's Twitter and Facebook and stuff, were already ready to write him off. And I don't blame him. I don't blame anyone, especially when Khalil Shakir, in his limited opportunities, made big plays. Especially when you look at the playoffs against Miami, he had those great cat. He had that great catch, and the one that sh- almost was a catch. And during the regular season, he showed a lot of potential. And I also agree that Shakir deserves to get the nod at slot receiver heading into next year. McKenzie is not a bad backup receiver by any means. If you can keep him, it's not even that bad a rate that he's under for his contract. But also, I think if you can get a day three pick for him, if somebody's willing to pony up like a fifth round pick or something, I would have no problems 
shipping them off. Sorry, I just got to show this comment real quick. <laughs> the lives of the iPads are at risk <laughs> when Dorsey is calling the police. That's a good one. Technology, am I right? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that, Jack. Um, but yeah, I mean, I agree. And I, I don't want to get into it too much because, like I said, we'll save some of that for later in the show when Bryce comes on. So we will move on to number three on my list here. And just a little warning here. We're going to talk about some defensive players here, specifically defensive linemen. I might have given it away, but you probably are new anyway. So here we go. First of all, Boogie Basham. He is the first of, of two here who were second round picks for the Bills back to back years, may I add. And again, he just really hasn't panned out. He's been okay, but we're not at an okay stage. This team does not want to just say, okay, we want to say, no, we want to be great and win the Super Bowl. So, through two seasons, 23 games, Basham has recorded 37 total tackles, 17 QB pressures, five tackles for a loss, and just four and a half sacks. He had a 62.2 PFF grade as a rookie and a 66.4 in 2022. So, like I said in the article, if the Bills don't think that Basham is developing the, the way that they would like and they have other plans of the position this offseason, they could probably get a day three pick for him. A lot of these guys so far that we're talking about probably just be day three picks. But again, you just want to build that up a little bit so you have more than six draft picks to help build your team for next year and for years down the road. So they might be able to get a day three pick for Basham. Um, the only thing is they would save $800,000. So here you'd really be doing it just to get the asset back. Where pretty much you're saying, we're going to save some money, but we're mainly doing this to say that we value the draft pick more than Boogie Basham up to this point. But that's the thing where it gets a little murky because ever since the Wyatt Teller trade, Brandon Bean gets cold feet with trading these younger players now because look what happened there. Imagine if the Bills had Wyatt Teller on their offensive line. Imagine how much more at peace we would be right now with a solidified all-pro guard right now. So I, I think he, like I said, he gets some cold feet and he doesn't want to give up on these young players too early. But there might be a point where you just say, you know what, I, I got to pull the trigger here because it's not working out. I do agree with you, but I think with Basham, it's a little different because he just completed his second year. So, and usually, you know, I... I personally try to give a player three years unless they're extraordinarily bad, like Cody Ford, in which case you can tell almost right away. But I think with Basham, there's really not, again, not much incentive money-wise to get rid of him, not much incentive to get rid of him other than if you happen to get an offer from a team that's willing to give you a pick that you don't think you could get from anywhere else for him. But I think that he's – I think they, they'll they probably keep him just as cheap depth because also the other thing is, too, if you're going around trading players at positions, like if you want to trade both him and the other defensive end that I know everyone knows we're probably going to mention in a couple minutes, you'd just be creating holes that you would need to fill when you already have cap issues and all that. So Basham on his rookie deal for two more years, 
it's really not bad to have that, even if he hasn't been quite frankly worthy of his draft position. But once we start talking about the other player, I have a different tune about that. Is that the other player? Yeah, AJ Epinesa. We all knew it was coming. So I might as well just say it. Go Epinesa, ahead. I'll, I'll let you run year, right into it. He's entering year four of his deal, his rookie deal. So it's the last year. It's a contract year. And he also just came off his career high in sacks. He had the most quiet six and a half sack season I think I've ever seen from a football player. And most of it was probably just cleanup sacks. Like, and I always think about the one in against Pittsburgh when P- Kenny Pickett just ran right into him as he was getting off the block finally. But that's a, anyways, getting back to my point, AJ Epinesa, final year of his rookie deal. Obviously, again, you wouldn't really save a ton of cap by trading him, but he could probably fetch a bit better draft capital than Basham would mostly because he has finally produced. He's coming off a six and a half year half sack season. Somebody might be willing to take a flyer on him for a year, see if they can get more out of him. And I think he's been the bigger disappointment of the two for the Bills. Yeah, and that's pretty much what I was getting at in the article here where I put those guys in order for a reason where Boogie Basham was three, Epinesa was two, because we've had another year of AJ Epinesa where you could look at that and say, all right, this is three years, man. You're going into a contract year. Have you really done enough for us to want to give you a second contract? And for me right now, no, he has not. Now, last year when I was just starting out here at Buffalo Fanatics, I came out with an article. Well, actually, I came out with a trade and then we turned it into an article, but it got some good traction here, and I was trying to think of ways that the Bills could trade up to get Sauce Gardner because that was everyone's favorite cornerback, and rightfully so. Look at the rookie season that he had. So I said, what if we give the Giants, because Joe Shane, right? We give them A.J. Epinesa, the, what they pick last year, 25th, and then their first-round pick this year for the Giants' seventh, the, the seventh overall pick from the Giants. And... A lot of people said yes, but there were a good amount that said no as well and said, no, nah, we need to give Epinesa another year or just, uh, you know, we, we need to hold on to that first round pick. But now if I were to come out with that same trade, obviously it wouldn't be the same trade. But I said this in the article, you might be able to use Epinesa as leverage where you could package him and the Bills 27th pick this year. If there's a wide receiver that the Bills really like, you might be able to move up 10 spots, give him Epinesa, give him that first round pick in terms of just swapping first round picks, not giving up another first round pick. But again, you could use Epinesa as leverage, move up, get a wide receiver, or maybe even a lineman that they really like. And you could save a little over $1.4 million. And even if they don't want to do it for, uh, well, I mean, they would do it for draft purposes, but even if it's not leverage to move up to get a specific player, I think this deal would just make sense as Epinesa is one of the most logical guys that you could move off from. Yeah, so I think we're in agreement here that Epinesa should probably be one of the guys that the Bills tried to shop this offseason. Yeah, so looking at Epinesa's stats, in his three years in the NFL, 43 games, he has combined 
44 tackles, 35 QB pressures, 12 tackles for a loss, and nine sacks. He has recorded PFF grades of 64.7, 63.3, and he dipped down to a 56.7 in 2022. So like I said, he's going into a contract year. 1.4, that's really not a lot, but it's more than Boogie Basham, you know, 600,000 more. He could be a guy where if you want to get a, a day three pick in return and start to build your roster up that way, you might want to ship out Epinesa and uh, save almost a million and a half dollars in the process. Would you agree with that, Zach? Yeah, that that sounds reasonable. So now I guess that leads us to number one here, sticking on the defensive line. Everyone guessed it. Big Ed. So when you're looking at Ed Oliver's contract here, at first I was like, wait, everyone's saying that the Bills would save over $10 million if they cut him, but he has uh, a $10.8 million dead cap. But if you look at it, if he is traded before June 1st, then the Bills would be able to save $10.8 million because he has a $0 dead cap. So if they were to just outright cut him, they wouldn't save anything. But if they were to trade him, then they would save that money. So it's a little bit of a tricky situation that where I had to do a little bit extra digging because, again, I was like, wait a sec, do we save money or not? Because that's the reason that you'd want to trade out Oliver, right? Like you would get assets in return, but you want to save $11 million if you can, right? Yeah, like that would be the most significant option because obviously Ed Oliver's on his fifth year option this year that and thought of paying Ed Oliver what is it check spot track uh 10.753 million yeah 10.8 10.8 mil just about where it's for what he's done and I mean to be fair he has shown tremendous flashes like I would like him to be a bill this year he's still one of their better defensive linemen especially in the absence of von miller but paying him that much money and then looking at a possible extension or whatever considering he hasn't really lived up to the ninth overall pick status or expectations is kind of it's hard to fathom but at the same time, I mean, part of it was injuries. Part of it was just being used inadequately on the D-line because there were a couple of years where he didn't have a true one-tech, and we finally got a true one-tech opposite him and Daquan Jones, and you had Vaughn Miller. And when everyone was healthy, Ed Oliver looked really good. And he looked good to start the year. Then he got injured. And that sort of derailed things. Now, personally, I don't really see the Bills trading him, even though it would save all that money. Because I think that they believe in him. And they want to see what he can do this year when he's finally healthy and see if he can put it all together to warrant a big extension. But I think if they if somebody did contact them and gave them enough of a offer an offer they couldn't really refuse they would consider it yeah so i see a lot of people in the comments are asking 
what would Ed Oliver get, right? That's the main question. So first of all, you would save $11 million if you were to trade him. That's the best part right there. Well, one of the best parts. But then on top of it, Ed Oliver, I think, is the most valuable asset that the Bills have. Now, I've seen people in the comments saying trade Diggs, trade Trey White, and I'll touch on those guys <laughs> at the end. Let me just say that that's not happening. But I think Ed Oliver is the, the biggest trade piece here that makes sense from a financial standpoint and from a draft standpoint because I think that you could get two picks for Ed Oliver and I think that you can even get a day uh, a day two pick for him I've seen people saying that teams would give up a third maybe even a second round pick for him I don't know if I'd go that high but I think I think Ed Oliver could get a third round pick I mean this is a former ninth overall pick I know he's undersized I know he hasn't had the numbers to really make teams want to say, oh, man, like, give me Ed Oliver. I'll give you whatever you want for him if, if he's available. But I really think that Ed Oliver could get a day two pick or two day three picks. I feel like it would almost have to be a day two pick to consider moving him because you, he's still a significant part of that defensive line, and you would just you would have to figure out how to replace him. I mean, obviously, it would be easier if we went into legal tampering period and found out that the Bills signed a free agent defensive tackle like Javon Hargraves or somebody. Then it would make it easier for me to say, okay, go ahead and move on from Ed Oliver. But at this point, if you trade trade Ed Oliver for whatever pick, who's filling the spot? Tim, Tim Settle? Like he's too much of an unknown for me to actually make a judgment on whether or not I could, would be okay with that. Well, when Bryce Martino comes on in a few minutes, we'll talk about maybe re-signing Jordan Phillips for now. And you could kind of plug and play with that. You would have Daquan Jones. That's another thing you could extend Daquan Jones and lower his cap hit. That'll probably come on next week's show. We're going to get into that a little bit more. You would have Daquan Jones and Tim settle and then, you could re-sign Jordan Phillips and maybe draft one depending on what round you want to go. Maybe it's later on in the draft because the Bills have bigger needs, but you really could make this work, I think. And like I said, I think trading Ed Oliver is the most feasible for the Bills. But like you said, there, there are a lot of reasons that you would not want to, and you would have to make sure that you get the right return for someone like Ed Oliver. Yeah, it all it all comes down to it all comes down to trade compensation because obviously it would make sense that if you could free up 10.8 mil in cap space that you could, but you would have to get the right draft picks in return or right draft pick. It would have to be an offer that Bean would be crazy to refuse. So taking a look at Ed Oliver's numbers here, in his four years, the most tackles he's had in the season were 44, and that came as a rookie in 2019. The most pressures were 18, that was in 2021, and the most sacks were five, also his rookie season. This year, he only had two and a half sacks in 13 games, and then for his PFF grades, going in chronological order here, 65.6, 48.5, 70.9, and then this year, a 68.5. So, again, it's hard because you look at that and say he has potential. Like you said, he, he's shown flashes. He could be a crucial part to this defense, but then it's like, 
do we really need him? Could could we move on, save that $11 million and get a couple draft picks for him? But then you look at it from the other perspective and say, well, what team is going to give up that much for a guy that really has failed to produce? But then you look at it from the other perspective again and say, he's in a contract year. And if his market value is $10.4 million, are you going to give him a second contract in the double digits? I don't think so. So this is a very intriguing situation that I wonder what the Bills are thinking because I bet they're having these same conversations. Yeah, obviously they're trying to figure out, they're trying to do the math to kick the banana stand, find what whatever they can get, whatever money they can scrounge up to possibly do stuff this offseason beyond the draft. So the, I'm sure they're having some sort of conversation like that. The one thing that I want to say here is, if Brandon Bean can get a fifth-round pick for Cody Ford, he better be able to get at least a fourth, <laughs> third, or second for Ed Oliver. Look at it that way. If he can get a fifth-round pick for Cody Ford, then the return on Ed Oliver should be that much better. Yeah, I I definitely think it would. I would say it had would have to be at least a, have to be a second-round pick for them to pull the trigger on that deal. Okay, now. Yeah, that's interesting. We, we could talk about that more, but I don't want to take up too much time. I would say a third round pick, but I would want to get a sixth or a seventh also in there too. Um, but yeah, either way, you want the return to be big for Ed Oliver. Now, I've seen people talking in the comments about trading Ed Oliver for Derrick Henry. Maybe not specifically just swap out one for one, but I've seen Derrick Henry's name pop up. I don't want to get into this too much because we could go down this rabbit hole, but what do we think about Derrick Henry? Obviously, Derrick Henry is one of those players that everyone would love to have on their team, but it's probably not feasible money-wise. I haven't him. even looked at his contract because I just don't even think it's going to happen. So I haven't even taken the time <laughs> to look it's, into his contract not, details. It's not I'm really going to Google it right now much. for the first time. <laughs> Let's just say it's a lot of fun bucks. <laughs> yeah yeah so i i think again we'll get into this more in a little bit but i have a i don't want to say better but i have a cheaper more feasible option for the bills at running back but if you guys are wondering let me just wait for this to load here because now i'm curious myself i want to see what his contract is he signed a four-year 50 million dollar contract and that's all I'm seeing for now. <laughs> yeah. Zach, if you can find that before me, feel free because for whatever reason I can't get his contract to come up on here. Derrick Henry. <laughs> oh no. Okay, right there. <laughs> In 2023, he will earn a base salary of 10.5 million while carrying a cap hit of 16.4. Nope. 16.4 mil for a running back. I know it's Derrick Henry. I know he can wreck games. And run over everyone, and he's an he is an elite force wielder. But for a 29 year old running back with a ton of tread on the tires, and also considering the Bills' offense, that's going to be a pass. And I'm not just saying that because of the pun. <laughs> I see what you did there. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I, I cannot get it to load, but from what I could see that uh, 
Bryce, I see in the background, if you know, if you've looked into this, give me a thumbs up. Is that right? 16.4 for uh, Derek Henry this year? Yes. Okay, Bryce says yes. So, yeah, I'm. it's going to be a no from me, dog. Yeah. <laughs> now, in terms of trading Stephon Diggs and Trey White and Gabe Davis, those are three names that I've seen pop up a lot. Let me say no. <laughs> Because I don't think the Bills are in a position to trade those guys. First of all, I mean, we're in a Super Bowl window. How are you going to trade three of your top players? But then you look at the money situation. Diggs has a cap hit of $20.2 million, and he has a dead cap of 45.5. So <laughs> you're still going to be paying him that much money. You're going to lose $25 million for Diggs to not even be on your team. And then Trey White, he has a cap hit of 16.2. With the dead cap at $23 million. So you're going to be paying him, what's that, over $6 million to not even be on your team. And I, I, I know Trey wasn't his normal self last year, but give him time to come back from that ACL injury. But why would you trade Trey White just to lose money on the situation? I know. Like, first off, yeah, like you said, with Tredavious White, he just came back from his ACL midseason. Remember, Saquon Barkley a couple years ago he had just come back from his injury. He didn't look his best, and then last year he returned to form. It usually takes at least a full year for someone with an ACL injury or one of those terrible leg injuries to return to form. And I'm sure if our resident thigh doctor was here, he would attest to that. So there's no way in hell you're trading him. Maybe you can get him to agree to a restructure, free up some cap space, but we'll see. Uh, Stefan Diggs, yeah, he ain't going anywhere. Like you said, <laughs> it would cost way too much money to get rid of him than it would to just keep him. And also, he is Josh Allen's number one receiver. You're not going to trade your franchise quarterback's elite number one receiver just because. Like, that makes no sense. And I want to touch on Gabe Davis here because the money standpoint, it's nothing. Looking at Davis's cap hit, he is owed next year $2.9 million and a dead cap of, we'll just round up, 175000 So, essentially, you would be saving $2.8, 2000000 from from Gabe. And, yeah, sure, every little bit helps, but... That would be a huge hole on your roster that you're creating. He he is your wide receiver, too. Obviously, we saw this year the Bills need to add more to that room. But how are you going to try to add by subtracting? You just don't do it. Exactly. Don't create unnecessary holes. So with that, I think that will wrap up our um Trade talk here. I mean, this is an interesting topic for sure. It definitely got people talking throughout the week between, uh, you know, Facebook comments and Twitter and and now on here. And I'm glad that we could bring it forth on here and talk about it because, like I said, it is interesting. And I think that the Bills really should look into some of these. And maybe there's a player out there that they're going to look to move on from that we haven't mentioned yet. But, again, between the money and getting draft picks in return, I think trading players here – is definitely in the works for the Bills. So, Bryce, give me a thumbs up when you're ready. He's ready. So, I present to you now 
Bryce Martino, as we are going to talk about all of the free agents that the Bills have on their roster, because like I said, there's a lot of them. So hope you guys aren't too busy on this fine Sunday night because we have a lot of players to get to. And Bryce has been doing a great job of covering all of them and taking a look at what the Bills should do over the next couple of weeks here. So here he is. Bryce, how you doing, my man? Good, how about you? It's been a long time. Yeah, yeah. I think the last time we talked was on the Writers Club. Right? I mean, we've talked before that. I haven't ghosted you or anything, but the last time we talked like this was uh, on the Writers Club last summer, I believe. Yeah, it was. It's been almost a year now. It's crazy. Yeah. So, like I said, I'm glad that we could fire this up again and get it going here. So, all right. I got the boxes in shape here once I took away that little banner. <laughs> So we might as well just get right into it here. I'm going to start right at the top here, Bryce, because these two are arguably, the not arguably, it's not even a question. They're the biggest free agents for the Bills, the biggest storyline for the Bills going into the season. Um, Tremaine Edmonds and Jordan, Jordan Poyer. So I'll let you pick. Who, who do we want to go with first here? Uh, let's do Jordan Poyer first. Perfect. So... Jordan Poyer, what do we think? Is he gone? Because I think he's gone. Yeah, I mean, you can just read what he said at the Combine this past week, talking about how he doesn't, you know, he's thankful for his time in Buffalo. He doesn't want all the, you know, the New York state taxes taking millions of dollars of his contract away from him. So, and, you know, his wife, Rachel, loves Miami, loves Dallas, so... I think he's just gone. Yeah, and, you know, they've been saying right along how they want to be in uh, Florida. They want to go down there. And then Warmer Warmer, said yeah. that he's been he's been partying with uh, the Dolphins and Tua. They golf together. And, listen, this is a brotherhood. I'm all for guys being friends outside of the gridiron. But the way he was saying it and just knowing the Bills and the Dolphins rivalry, it just <clears> left <throat> me with that uneasy feeling where it's just like, oof. I think Poyer is a dolphin. I could be wrong. You know, maybe the Bills clear up so much cap space that they say, hey, Jordan, we have a $12 million per year deal for you that you won't be able to turn down. Come back for one more year, play with Micah, and let's go win this thing. And he might say, okay, let's do it. Because he does love Buffalo. He loves the fans. He loves the team. And I don't want to take anything away from him because Poyer is, has been a great team player ever since the Bills signed him. I don't want this narrative to get out there that he hates Buffalo and his wife is making him leave and they don't like it here and this and that or whatever. I mean, this man played on a torn meniscus, had multiple injuries throughout the year and drove to Kansas City. He Ubered there or whatever ride share he got. He drove to Kansas City because he couldn't play. What was it like something with his lung or something like the the air pressure? He couldn't be in the plane, but he drove out to Kansas City so he could play in the game. Yeah, I mean, there's no questioning how much he loves Buffalo and how much he loves playing for us. But, you know, I think there's just a time where he, you know, wants to leave, wants to be, you know, where his family wants to live, where, you know, a team's going to offer him most money and where he can, you know, play into the postseason. I, and I know he, you know, he played well into the postseason for most of his time here, but, you know, 
there just comes a time when we Buffalo can't pay everybody, especially an aging safety like Jordan Poyer. Zach, what do you think? Is Poyer gone, or do you think we can uh, get him back for at least one more year here? I think he's gone at this point, based on what he said and just the general feeling and also because, like you said, he's on the wrong side of 30 now. This is his last chance to get a big payday, probably, in his NFL career. And he earned every single penny of it. He's been a consummate professional, a baller, ever since he came here in 2017. He deserves everything. And he deserves everything but the flack that he's getting from some on social media. Because... When he, when he talks about the state taxes and stuff, it's like, never mind that. That's just whatever. Everyone's entitled to their reasons for business. And it's pro- a lot of it, I think, is just business talk about him wanting to get what he's worth and whatever. And that's fine. He's a football player. He's entitled to that. So I don't think it should be a reflection on his character or whatever. And like people saying, oh, he hates Buffalo. No, he doesn't. If he hated Buffalo, he would have left here the last time he had an opportunity to leave before he signed that extension. He yeah, has... I agree. I, I think he likes Buffalo. It's just that for all the reasons that we just laid out here, he's going to say, okay, I think this is the best time for both sides to kind of go our separate ways here. Like, thank you for everything. I love you guys, but I got to do what's best for me and my family. Yeah, that's ultimately what it is. The NFL is a business. It's nothing personal. It's just business. So what are we looking at here in terms of price? Because Track has them with the market value of $11 million. I kind of see them wanting to get more than that. And I, I feel like a team like the Dolphins or the Cowboys might overpay and give him, let's just say, a two-year $28 million deal. Would that would that be crazy to think that Poyer could get maybe 14 or 15 a year? Or are we thinking more along the lines of 10 or 11? Because if it's down to 10 or 11, like I said, the Bills might be able to clear up enough cap to get her back for at least another year. I would think it would probably be higher in the market only because of his production and the fact he's an all pro. Like he is one of the best safeties in the league. So he deserves to get all the money he can and if and whatever the market rate is. Bryce, what do you think? I mean, I'm thinking he's going to get somewhere in the 10 to $12 million range because, like we said before, he's on the wrong side of 30. He's had some injuries this year. There's not a team that's going to pay him, what, 15 or $16 million per year when he's got – two or three uh, good years left. Now, if he was, say, I don't know, 25, 26, then, you know, you could see it happen, but not when he's uh, 31. Well, everyone wants to compare this situation to the Harrison Smith um, situation and the contract that he got. And I'm trying to find, oh, that's what it was. August 29th. 2021 he signed a four-year 64 million dollar contract extension with minnesota so in 2023 he has a base salary of 14.7 million 2024 14.5 and then in 2025 he's going to get 17 million dollars for a base salary so that could be kind of comparable where like i said a team might give poorer 
15 million a year. I mean, you kind of got to think too that when the Vikings gave him their contract, they weren't, or they didn't have a lot of players, you know, with huge contracts. So they could afford to overpay to keep one of their star players at that time instead of, you know, when now with Buffalo, you know, they can't do it. Miami probably can. I think they're over the salary cap along with Buffalo. So I think they're just in two different uh, salary cap situations. All right. So I'm going to move this along here because we still have a lot to get to. So 1A and 1B here. We went with Poyer first, but now we got to get to Edmonds. What do we think about Edmonds? Because I think that it's more important for the Bills to focus on Edmonds than it is Poyer. But that's going to be tough, too, because his market value is, let me double check here, but I'm thinking that you're going to have to pay a lot. in the $16 to $17 million range. Yeah. Um, his, okay, his market value is only $11 million, but I think that's got to be off a little bit because I think if Poyer could potentially make 15 a year, then Edmonds definitely would. So I wouldn't be surprised if a team gives Edmonds close to 20 million a year. Looking at that Roquan Smith deal, he set that bar really high where I'm thinking the bills are going to have to do a lot of work to get Edmonds back now. Yeah. And I'm not sure Buffalo has the salary cap to be able to do, do that because when you look at it, you have, say $7 million to pay your draft picks. You have free agents to bring in and you have some other of your own free agents you want to resign, like, I don't know, Sam Martin or some of the offensive linemen that we'll probably get into later. So paying admins, say, $15, $16 million per year when this regime has a history of drafting all pro linebackers with Shaq Thompson and Luke Keekley. I think it might be better to just, just let him walk, see if he can get a bigger contract elsewhere. Well, Zach, before I uh, let you give your take here, I just want to throw this out there because I've been seeing it a lot on social media and I actually thought of it myself. You let Edmonds walk, you bring in Bobby Wagner for two years. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, Bobby Wagner is a good player and he wouldn't be a bad option to replace him, but I'm not exactly sure if he would be that much cheaper than Edmonds. I mean, obviously if Edmonds ends up getting 20 mil a year, then yes, Wagner would be cheaper. But I was going to say the one thing that kind of makes me think that maybe the Bills would be more keen to retain or make a stronger run at Edmonds than Poyer besides the obvious age because he's younger than the average NFL vet in his fifth year or sixth year is the fact that he and Milano have such a chemistry, have that, or a dynamic duo. They've come up together, developed together, and it's hard to replace that, replicate that chemistry with just anybody else at middle linebacker. But at the same, and at the same time, another thing is remember when Matt Milano signed his extension, everyone thought that off season he's gone, he's going to price himself out of Buffalo. He was looking at Levante David money, like fourteen mil a year or whatever, 
and he ended up signing for 10 and 10.4 mil a year average annual salary. It was four years, 41 and a half mil. So he gave the bills a bit of a hometown discount though. He is less materialistic than, and I don't know what Edmonds's motives are, but I, that's why I think maybe the bills should try, would try to make another, a stronger push towards Edmonds at the same time. If he's commanding 20 mil, let him get, that from another team and find someone else speaking of i think levante david is a free agent <laughs> hmm. Hmm. funny how that works but yeah i, I mean it, this is just such a tough situation because there's not a lot of money to play with but you just can't lose Tremaine edmonds and I, I guess you you can because i know edmonds is a polarizing figure but he had his best season last year and you could see the difference in the defense when he was on the field as to when he was not on the field and someone that the bills drafted last year. I talked about this earlier in the show, Terrell Bernard. I don't think he could be a starting middle linebacker for the bills. He's more of a Matt Milano outside cover type of linebacker. So a lot of questions here for the bills as to how they handle the situation. Yeah. I mean, yeah, Sorry, what were you going to say? Yeah, I was going to say it's it's hard considering, like you just mentioned, Terrell Bernard, they drafted him, but it was always sort of a head-scratcher because he doesn't really fit the mold of the middle linebacker. He's more of a Milano replacement, but you're also not moving on from Milano because he's one of your best players. And I don't. And he's know not a free agent. He, he's also not a free agent, and he's also not a middle linebacker, and I don't think it would be as easy as just switching the position like in Madden. So I, yeah, I think, think when or go ahead, Bryce, my bad. No, you're good. I was just gonna say I think when Buffalo drafted Bernard, they drafted him as that third linebacker replacement for when they released AJ Klein. But I don't know, I didn't see him gravitate to that role a whole lot and eventually Buffalo brought Klein back. So I'm not sure what his growth is gonna be from year one to year two and if they can really rely on him a whole lot. And I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> but in the meantime, I I did see – I just want to take a quick side note real here, uh, real quick here um, because I, I saw people were talking about drafting a center. And I will say Mitch Morris was on my trade list as an honorable mention. We'll save this talk more for when we get into the offensive line here. But that's – interesting because that leads me to this now if the bills don't get Edmonds back do you draft a linebacker that high like what's the plan of attack here what's plan b if you can't get Edmonds back because i think he's going to want a lot of money do you draft one in round one or two round three do you sign one how do the bills go about this here bryce i'll let you go first here so i think they do draft one in I would say second round, I still think wide receiver might be a more pressing need for uh, Buffalo, but definitely round two. Um, I still think they would have to go with or go sign a lower level free agent linebacker. I'm, it probably wouldn't be anyone that breaks a bank, but maybe a older veteran that can help uh, 
that rookie league draft. Zach, what do you think? Because, like I said, tying it in with that Mitch Morse comment, I don't think the Bills need to draft a center, but they definitely need to get some interior linemen or just linemen in general. And I think we can all agree that that has to come relatively high in the draft. But if you need to get a starting middle linebacker, that throws a big wrench into everything. So how would you go about this if you're Brandon Bean? I would say that, obviously, I'm not that familiar with the draft class at linebacker right now. I'm still, like, doing some research into prospects. But if they were going to draft a linebacker, if you let Edmonds walk, middle linebacker immediately becomes a top priority. And if so, you're probably going to want to try to get one of the top prospects you can. But if not, if you get someone who takes a little bit of development, you're going to need to sign a free agent as well. And I think even if you draft someone who comes in day one anyways, you're going to want some experienced depth. Like I just went on spot track and I looked up who's designated as unrestricted free agent at middle linebacker. We got some interesting names, like obviously Bobby Wagner. And you got Levante David, like I mentioned. You got Deion Jones, the former Falcons middle linebacker. You got Devin Bush, Anthony Walker Jr., who's also coming off of out of Cleveland, along with Deion Jones. He's a free agent. Zach Cunningham. There are a bunch of experienced names available some of whom you could probably get a lot cheaper than Edmonds on like a one or two year deal to be a bridge guy. Well, what I was going to say a couple of minutes ago, this is a good segue is that I'm going to be coming out with an article over the next couple of days about how the bills can clear up almost $50 million in cap space. So the money can be there if they choose it to be. So if they, if Edmonds says, Hey, I'm not coming back unless you give me at least 15 million a year. Brandon Bean might be able to say, okay, let me just restructure this deal. Let me do this. Let me cut here. Let me make a trade here. And we can give you a you know, five-year, $82 million contract or something like that. So I think it is possible. I just, I'm not sure how likely it is. Yeah, and if you do that, you're, like you said, you're going to have to move a lot of money around. You're going to have to lose some players that maybe you wouldn't want to, especially if you're going to, you know, this year without having the cap space and limited draft picks, if you bring Edmonds back, you might have to lose some players that you might not want to. Like Ed Oliver or uh, Boogie Basham, like you mentioned earlier in in live. I think we'll leave it there with Edmonds because – Looking at the list, I mean, we have a lot to cover here in a short amount of time. Um, appreciate everyone who is along for the ride with us here. Once again, this is Kevin Syracuse, Zach Vaughn, and Bryce Martino on the BF Writers Club here live on Buffalo Fanatics. So, sticking with the defense here, Shaq Lawson and Jordan Phillips. These are two more interesting players who, you know, they were part of the turnaround for the Bills, and then they kind of chased the money Phillips went out to Arizona Lawson went to Miami and then the Jets correct right and was there another was he in uh, Houston too yeah yeah Yeah, he kind of bounced around and then they both realized how much they missed Buffalo for um Jordan Phillips was at the playoff game last year in Kansas City tailgating with Bills fans 
And they were just like chomping at the bit to get back to Buffalo. So now that they're at this stages of their careers, they're not going to be commanding as much money as Edmonds and Poyer. But the question is, do the Bills need them? So whoever wants to go first here, um, I'll let you guys go first and I'll give my take because I think these are a little bit easier, like I said, because of the, the money situation. But still, you have to be careful with how you do it and how much money you give to which player. Yeah, so like I was... Said, <laughs> Go ahead. Um, yeah, like you said, you don't need these players, but someone like Shaq Lawson, you would definitely like to have back because of the impact he had in a small role for most of the season. And then along with the fact that Von Miller is probably going to miss the first, I don't know, month or so, just speculating, but Von Miller won't be back right away. And, you know, you'd like to have as much depth at the end as you possibly can. Jordan Phillips didn't really produce a whole lot on the D-line this year, injuries and just the amount of depth they had. So it might be better to let him walk and save that money to use somewhere else. Zach, what do you think about this? I would say I think that Shaq Lawson is very serviceable depth, and he seems to do his best in McDermott's system. So definitely try to bring him back. He could probably get him cheap back. I'm sure he'd want to come back. Jordan Phillips, obviously he's another guy where, you know, thrived in McDermott's system, went away, struggled, came back. Could probably get him cheap again. He showed he did pretty well at the beginning of the year up until he got injured, and then he struggled with injuries throughout the year. But so, like, part of me wants to see maybe the Bills move on and just try to find a more long term option. But also, it you could do a lot worse than bringing both these guys back. Yeah, I think I'm under the impression that I want to see both of them back. But I wouldn't be upset if they're not here next year. I think that's the general consensus where it's like, yeah, they'd be nice role player. Hopefully we can get them back. But if not, whatever, you know, we'll we'll, uh, we'll address that situation in a different way here. Maybe they look to the draft, but that's the other thing. I'm, I'm kind of tired of drafting defensive ends and defensive linemen, and then they just don't pan out. So it's like, well, we already know what Shaq Lawson and Jordan Phillips are. They love being Buffalo Bills, and we could probably get them at a cheap rate. So Maybe we should just bring him back for another year at two or three million per year, something like that. Now, the one thing that I'll say about Jordan Phillips is I kind of teased this earlier. The Ed Oliver trade or potential trade, should I say, would definitely impact this, because if you're going to trade Ed Oliver, that's going to be another hole. So in that case, you'd probably want to bring back Jordan Phillips. But if you leave Oliver, maybe that means that they are going to part ways with Jordan Phillips and just say, Jordan, we love you, but we got to have guys who are healthy and can be on the field because the best ability is availability, and you just weren't really there for us this year. Like Your your heart was there, but you just weren't on the field. So, again, this is another tricky situation, and I think a lot rides on the Ed Oliver trade. And, again, this is all just a hypothetical that I came up with, so I don't even know if the Bills are are thinking about trading Ed Oliver. But... um, yeah, it, it's just uh, it's tough because you got to look at the money and how you want to allocate it. 
Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a tough offseason for Buffalo because, like you mentioned, 21 or so free agents. You got negative 20 million or 18 million in cap, so you're going to lose some players and, you know, it might be some fan favorites that you that you lose, like Jordan Phillips or Shaq Lawson. All right, so I'm going to say this now so that we can get the idea out there and people can start thinking as we progress here throughout the show. But at the end, I want to go back with you guys, and I'm, I got the list on spot track of all 21 free agents. And actually, that might be a little bit off because, uh, you know, with the uh, like Butker signing, and then I don't think Cole Beasley and John Brown are on there because they didn't finish the year on the active roster. So give or take, you know, a little over 20 free agents for the Bills. But I want to go through... And I want to count how many players we think will be back in Buffalo next year. Because we did this on the space last week, and that was pretty interesting, where we narrowed it down to a specific number. And I don't want to give away that number, but for our our viewers out there, I want you guys to think ahead as we're talking here and think about which players could actually logically be back in Buffalo next year. And then at the end, comment how many players you think will actually be back in Bill's Mafia next year. And uh, like I said, we're, we're going to talk about that at the end, but let's just start thinking about that as, as we move forward. So speaking of moving forward, the last player I want to talk about here on defense, Thane Jackson. Now he is a, a restricted version. And the one thing that I'm going to say, I'll just give my take. It has to be Kyrie Elam next year. I mean, they drafted this guy and he was a healthy scratch multiple times. And he just has those raw, physical, athletic traits that Dane does not have. And to be playing a seventh-round draft pick over a first-round draft pick that you traded up for, you just can't have that, especially in year two. So this is Kyer Elam's position moving forward. And I guess what I have to say about Dane is that if someone gives him a big contract and wants to make him more than a CB2 backup, maybe a fringe starter kind of guy, Fine, give it to him. Don't match it. But if you can get him back on a, a team-friendly deal, then I'm all for it. But I just want to see Kyrie Elam get the majority of the snaps next year. I'm with you there. Kyrie Elam at this point is CB2. I think he's shown it, even though he was limited in his rookie year. Going into the postseason, he was the guy making plays. Dane Jackson is a very serviceable CB. He is quality depth. I think the Bills should definitely give him the lowest RFA tender, which would be the original round right of first refusal one. That's like 2.6 mil, which is not a bad cap hit for a depth corner. And worst case, he finds a new home and you get a seventh-round pick in return because he was a seventh-round pick, which is a lot better than if you had a UDFA on the restricted free agent tag, like Chris Hogan years ago. And we all know how Mike that ended up. But <laughs> Mike Gillisley, the one thing I will say, as heartbroken as I was when Gillisley was poached by the Patriots, the pick that we got for him was Matt Milano. So it ended up working in our favor. <laughs> Bryce, what do, you, what do you think about this? I mean, it would be nice to have Dane Jackson back, especially if you're going to move Christian Benford to safety, like McDermott's been talking about. 
I know Buffalo likes to have some depth at their positions, like D-line and corners, so it, it would be nice to bring back Dane, especially if it's going to be on a $2 million deal like Zach mentioned. Because um, also you you don't know what Trey White's going to look like next year, so it would be nice to have a emergency option if trade, you know, still isn't 100% or if he lost his stuff. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up Christian Benford because that's interesting too because <laughs> I guess we didn't really talk about the safety room behind Jordan Poyer because we don't know what's going to happen with DeMar Hamlin. Still there, Kev? <laughs> I thought it was just my internet again. <laughs> well, I'm sure where he was going with it was a, talking about whether or not Christian Benford is going to move from corner to safety and, and whether, like, if Jordan Poyer ends up going, like, where would Christian Benford come into play? Because he could theoretically move to safety, possibly slide in, develop into the starter, long-term starter there. But I think you would still need to sign a stopgap free agent or a vet on a cheaper deal. Maybe try to replicate what you did in 2017, bringing these two then unknown guys off the bargain bin and coaching them up. And maybe you could find a similar, be able to replicate that with the current crop of free agents replacing Poyer this time. Real quick. You guys got me. Yeah. Yeah. We can hear you now. All right. Good. So, um, I, I don't know where it cut out with what I was saying that, but I was just saying, I'm glad you brought up Benford because is he going to be a safety or is he going to be a corner? Because if he's going to be a corner, you might be more apt to letting Dane Jackson walk and say, well, you know, Benford is a good CB2. Well, I guess in this case, CB3, he'd be the backup to Elam or just first backup in general. But if you want Benford to play safety, then you might want Dane to be back. And like you said, you might want to get that stopgap for a free agent because Micah Hyde might not want to play with a rookie. You know, you might want to go get that savvy veteran that you can just plug and play with Micah Hyde. Now, my thing with that is you might not know if you have Christian Benford or if Benford will be able to play safety until you get to training camp. So you might still want to keep Dane Jackson or at least get a veteran corner out of free agency just in case Benford actually falls out at safety. Yeah, I was going to say, I think, I think that regardless of whether Benford transitions to safety or stays at corner, you're probably going to want to sign a free agent safety anyways, because literally the only, I'm pretty sure the only two safeties we have under contract right now are Micah Hyde and Jared Maiden who was a practice squad future Zane Anderson too from chiefs. Just, Oh, that's right. Three or four Zane Anderson. Yeah. He probably replaced Jaquan Johnson on special teams, but again, you still need to fill that starting safety role. Yeah. So I, I think we're definitely going to be looking at some moves at safety and they might just say, let's make it easy. And we're going to roll with Trey Elam, Dane and Christian Benford at corner. But again, a lot of that rides on what they think about Christian Benford. Is he a corner 
or is he a safety? But either way, I think they're they're definitely going to they're actually they're probably going to both sign and draft a safety. You have to because yeah, because then Hyde's going to be up too. Yeah. yeah, and you still have no depth at safety if you just bring in one this year. Because we're losing Japan Johnson, probably Jordan Poyer, and Cam Lewis. So that's and three Dean safeties. Marlo. And you don't, Dean Marlowe too. And you don't know what's going on with DeMar Hamlin. You know. I'm glad you guys uh, brought up some of the backups because before we transition to the offense, are there any other backups here that we want to talk about? I did put the list in the chat if you guys want to look for yourselves. But um, in terms of the defensive free agents here, I know there's guys like, you know, AJ Klein, Tyler Matikevich, like you said, Dean Marlowe. So before we get into the offense, do you guys have any final thoughts here? Will we see some of these guys come back? I could see them bringing back Matikevich. He's one of their special teams aces. Um, probably just a, a cheap contract there. Maybe he, I mean, I guess he can play some linebacker, but has he even played a snap in, in a meaningful game? So that would just be solely for special teams. So he, he wouldn't be a Tremaine Edmonds replacement. That's not what I'm getting at here. But um, yeah, what, what do we think about the rest of these guys here? Terrell Dawson, he's another one. He already tweeted his goodbyes to Buffalo, so I don't think he's coming back. To be fair, I don't think Terrell Dotson would warrant the and even the lowest RFA tender. I think if if he were to come back, and obviously he already said his farewells and stuff, so he's probably not. If he were to come back, it would have to be a team-friendly extension that comes in under the tender amount. But I think the one player that really only warrants mentioning is Cam Lewis, and that's only because he's one of those guys that McDermott really likes. He's stuck around here for a few years. He's a depth DB special teamer. He also, I think would be one of those guys who ends up signing an extension that ends up being a lot cheaper, being a bit cheaper than the RFA tender. So if he comes back at all. Bryce, you have any final thoughts on all these guys? Some of the backups here, second and third stringers. Yeah, I'm not sure they're, you know, pressing needs to bring back Matakovich was nice for special teams because that's what we brought him in for from Pittsburgh. So, you know, it would be nice to have him back just for that area alone. But guys like Dean Marlowe, you didn't really get to see on the field too much. Uh, Tyrell Dotson, he's gone. So it's not like any of these guys you're really going to miss having. Well, the one final thing that I'll say to wrap this up from the defensive standpoint is that the Bills have to be able to trust their youth because that was their big, I guess, bugaboo would be the word here, where, you know, they just didn't use their young players here a lot this year. And as much as I like the reunion tour and bringing guys like Cole Beasley and John Brown back and AJ Klein, you know, the rest, even going back to Shaq and Jordan Phillips, there's got to be a point where you say, okay, let's stop recycling through all these old players here as nice as it is to have them want to come back and let's start putting faith and trust in the young guys that our general manager has been drafting. So I think this is a year where they, they kind of have to clamp down on that because they tried that last year and it didn't work. So I think they really need to get these young guys like Khalil Shakir, James Cook, Kyer Elam, the list goes on and on and whoever they draft this year, but you just have to be able to use those guys 
in big situations. That's what the Chiefs did right down the stretch. You know, they're not recycling through guys that were there in 2018. Yeah, like you said, those free agent reunions were nice to have, nice for fan base. You know, you got some good production out of Shaq Lawson and uh, Cole Beasley at the end of the season, but, you know, you can't keep doing this every year and hope that, you know, one time it's going to pay off and you're going to get a huge bargain. Once in a while, you got to either spend bigger draft a really good player all right well switching over to the offense now an hour and 48 minutes into the show i mean this has been a great first episode so thank you again for everyone tuning along or tuning in and and following along here so moving over to the offense now probably the biggest name here is devin singletary so i think he's kind of like poyer here just not from the money standpoint but i just think that the writing is on the wall for motor to not be back in uh, the red, white, and blue next year. I could be wrong. Maybe they want to run it back with him, Cook, and Hines, but I just see them moving on from Singletary and trying to get a, I don't want to say younger, but probably a cheaper option. And I'll just give my vantage point here real quick. I want to see them get a bruiser because I want them to actually utilize Cook and Hines the way that they should. And I think the best way to complement that is getting someone who does the exact opposite because Singletary can kind of be that shifty, elusive pass catching back, just like uh, Cook and Hines. So I want them to go get someone like a Jamal Williams or a Deontay Foreman, just a straight up goal line back who can pound it in on the goal line. And then you have Cook and Hines doing their thing. And I, I feel like that would just be a nice mix. Yeah, I think. Singletary's gone like we we know based on how Bean has operated in acquiring running backs they don't really like to make meaningful investments of money in running backs beyond a first contract they don't want to give a big second contract to a running back there's a reason they had drafted Zach Moss a year after they drafted Singletary um, granted Moss didn't work out himself, but now they have a guy, they have James Cook on his rookie deal for three more years. It's a third round rate or second round rate. And then also Naheem Hines, who again would not stay on the team at his current cap, but would most likely be a restructure that would free up cap space. And I think you'd be adequate with that. Potentially they may also draft or sign a cheaper running back too. But I don't think I just don't want them to waste a draft pick on another running back because they just spent a second round draft pick on James Cook last year and where did it get them? So I I think if anything, they just have to sign a cheap veteran. Maybe B. John Robinson, he's the new Brees Hall this year. Everyone loves him. But B. John Robinson, if you draft him, you change your offense because he is a Derrick Henry. Maybe I shouldn't make that comparison yet, but he is a beast and he's going to need the ball. So as much as I want Bijan Robinson, I don't want Bijan Robinson. So like I said, if you could get someone for the right price, I'm not sure what the uh, the contracts are going to look like for someone like Jamal Williams, who had what 15 rushing touchdowns. So he might have outpriced himself, but you might be able to get someone like a Deontay Foreman, like I mentioned, just a cheap, I don't know, two year 
$5 million deal, $6 million, something like that. But again, the whole point is you don't want to be shelling out major money for a running back, especially considering how devalued the position is both in the league and also in the eyes of the Bills front office. Obviously, Bijan Robinson would be the one exception to all this. Like he is one of those big playmakers that if he fell to the Bills at 27, I wouldn't see an issue with them taking him. But if he's not there, I wouldn't touch running back on day one or two. Maybe late day three, but that would be it. And real quick, before we get to Bryce here, I, I want to make a point here where I hear you, where you don't want to shell out too much money to running backs, especially in a pass-heavy team like the Bills. Of it this way, too. I am willing to spend a couple million dollars more on a running back on some like event. I, I would rather spend a couple extra million more to preserve Josh Allen's body. Now, whether the Bills use that player correctly, I don't know. But looking at it from that perspective where you say, okay, if you don't do anything with Heinz's contract and he has a $4.8 million cap hit, you give, um, let's just say Foreman gets $3 million and we're up to about, what, eight, and then James Cook, that's about $10 million. You have $10 million for your running backs? On the surface, you might say, why are you giving that much money out to running backs? But then you look and say, well, down the road, we have to preserve Josh's body, and we are going to make it a point for him to not take those big hits this year. And instead of him doing all the goal line work, we're going to give it to Deontay Foreman, or we're going to give it to player X who we sign, or maybe if you do want to draft one. But the point here is I am willing to spend a little bit more than maybe some people would to preserve Josh's body because I do not want him turning into Cam Newton 2.0. Yeah, my issue with, you know, taking a running back in first round or paying up for a good running back like Jamal Williams or trading for Derrick Henry, whatever example you want to use, is we run with running backs, what, 10, 15 times per game? So you spent this huge draft for this high draft pick for – all this money just to run him, what, five or eight times a game? After spending a second-round pick on James Cook last year and trading for Naheem Hines. So I don't I don't hate going after someone like uh, Deontay Foreman or someone on that level, but I, I don't want to spend huge on it. Yeah, that... That makes a ton of sense, and I would agree with that. Yeah, I, I think that would be the happy medium, where you're not going to spend huge on someone like a Derrick Henry, but you're also not going to undervalue the position. And that's why I think someone like a Deontay Foreman could maybe be that happy medium. Yeah, because right now we only have two running backs rostered, and it's Hines and Cook. So you're going to have to bring in a free agent, and you're probably going to have to draft one, but in later rounds, not second or third like we've been doing for the last four years now zach uh i want to say this for the first time this year will we see another year of death taxes and taiwan jones on special teams <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think he's he's a bill for as long as they'll have him. i think and also if i'm not mistaken i'll look up his cap head i don't think it costs that much to bring him back because i think he knows his role 
and they know his role. He's strictly special teams, also an aging vet. Yeah, last year he played on the – he got 1.272 mil. So he's on the vet men. So it would not be hard to bring him back. Who knows? He might uh, go to Houston for one more year again and then come back to Buffalo. Might see him <laughs> back in Buffalo next year. <laughs> Goes to Houston, makes one big catch against the Bills, and then comes back to Buffalo again. <laughs> yeah. That's the best thing he's done in his entire career. <laughs> All right, m- moving on here. Um, still got a good amount of players to go through here. Try to make this as quick as possible, but you know we want to do our due diligence here. Jamison Crowder and Jake Kumaro, and I'll just put these guys up here as well, Cole Beasley and John Brown. So who do you guys want to start with here? Because this wide receiver room is definitely a tricky one. I think I can make this very simple. All four guys, I think you can can walk. They can all walk. If Beasley still wants to come back in the summer, you sign him him for the training camp for preseason. I mean, the rest of them, Crowder didn't do much. Obviously not what we hope for as fans. You can move on. Kumaro, he played special teams. That's basically it. You can find someone else to play special teams. Isaiah Hodgins. What? <laughs> no, there, that was that was the reason why he wasn't cut. <laughs> and he's yeah, already re-signed with the Giants. So. <laughs> yeah, I would agree. I mean, I, I think that all four of these guys could be gone. Someone said this earlier. I don't know if it was in the comments or maybe you said it, Zach. But if they bring back Cole Beasley and platoon him with Shakir, okay. But either way, I want to see Khalil Shakir as this team's starting slot receiver next year. And if it were up to me, again, as much as I like the reunion tour, I would say, Cole, thank you for everything, but you're 33, 34 years old now, and we got to stop recycling through old players here. And we already have McKenzie under contract, and he can do a little bit more in terms of versatility if Naeem Hines were to get hurt or whatever and we need another returner or if we want someone in the gadget role, we want someone in motion. And for $2.2 million, it's not much of a financial compensation, so we'll just keep McKenzie as that backup. But Khalil Shakir needs more snaps going into next season because Shakir, Cook, and Hines only combined for 36 receptions all season. That cannot happen. Yeah, it can't happen again. <laughs> so, I mean, could we make a case that Crowder comes back and they platoon him with Shakir? Because I no. feel like, nah, I feel like if anything, Definitely it would have yet. to be Beasley to platoon with Shakir. But I think Kumaro's gone. I think John Brown's gone. And yeah, I, I would say Crowder's gone too. I just don't see him back on this team. So maybe Beasley, but that would mean that they would have to get rid of McKenzie, right? I or would you keep McKenzie, too? Would you, would you have three slot receivers? I think they're more like... It depends on how camp goes. Because that $2 million would be nice to have for uh, free agents or draft picks, but I don't know. I still think McKenzie is more versatile than Cole Beasley. Yeah, and, and let's just say that they keep the four wide receivers as it is. So you have Diggs, Davis... Shakir and McKenzie, you bring back Cole Beasley. There's five. 
you definitely need more outside receivers. I'm hoping they get two, but I don't see seven wide receivers making this team. They usually roll with six. So that means you're only going to have three boundary receivers. And that was a huge problem for the Bills this year is that they didn't have enough downfield weapons and guys that could move the chains. Again, that comes down to play calling and Josh not seeing the right reads, what yada, yada. But regardless, Gabe Davis needs more help at wide receiver too. So I just don't see them keeping Shakir, Beasley, and McKenzie. Because people are saying, what, well, what if, they, what if they draft another slot receiver? What if they sign one? And the thing that I'm going to say is give it to Shakir and have your play calling match your personnel this year. Yeah, I can respect that because Shakir did, you know, he did shine and he got. Can you hear me? Is my internet back yet? I lost you for a little bit, but yeah, I think we're good. Yeah, I can hear you now. Zach, do you have any final thoughts about the uh, wide receivers before we move on here? I mean, I think I basically already said my position. I think all four guys are gone, and then you just probably would be more ideal to draft a boundary receiver than a slot receiver. That's what I'm thinking. All right, so this is another interesting uh, topic of discussion here. Backup quarterback and punter. What do we think about these two guys right here? I'm going to say it right now. Sam Martin deserves to be back next year. Case Keenum, eh, I think you could get younger and cheaper. What do you guys think? Zach, you go first here. I agree with you on Sam Martin. I think that he was a great punter for us last year, especially considering we don't really require – I mean, granted, we don't require a punter to be to do his job that much but he is also an excellent holder, which is important because you need to have a good holder for field goals and extra points. And I see no reason why you wouldn't bring him back. Case Keenum, again, it's like, eh, QB2, you can either, you can find someone younger and cheaper. I think you could do a lot worse than Case Keenum. I think it's just find a borderline competent QB2 and you'll be fine. Most likely Josh won't, they won't even see the field because Josh will just go every snap anyways. Bryce, what are you thinking here? Okay, never mind. <laughs> um, well, I'll I'll just uh, – I think Bryce is back. Let's try it again. Bryce, you there? Can you hear me? Yeah. Yep. Hey, I'm back finally. So what was discussed? Quarterback and punter? Yeah, Case Keenum, Sam Martin. We're saying that they probably look elsewhere for a backup quarterback. Sam Martin, we can see him being back. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I liked how Sam Martin uh, played this year. I think after a while of the constant turnover of punter, you would like to have some continuity there going from going from uh, Corey Bojarquez to Matt Hawk to Matt Riser for a hot minute, then, you know, to Sam Martin. I think you need some continuity of punter finally, so definitely bring Martin back. 
then quarterback, I would let Keenum go because I don't know, he his age scares me. He's you know, he probably won't cost a lot, but I still think you need someone that can play to the same level as Josh Allen's strengths. You need someone that can run and chuck the ball down the field just in case Allen does get hurt because you don't want to change the offense too much. So that brings up the question, who would you get then? Because I, I've seen a lot of people throw around Jacoby Brissett's name, and I would like that, but Brissett probably is going to want more money than someone like, uh, I don't know, just Kyle Allen, you know, Josh's best friend. Um, so I, I'm thinking maybe like Kyle Allen would be a cheap option, but like you said, you want someone to match Josh's skill set but it's just matching the money again. It's hard to make it work. So looking at the free agent quarterbacks here, Derek Carr, Carson Wentz, Marcus Mariota, Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, Jimmy G, Teddy Bridgewater, Daniel Jones, Keenum, Mason Rudolph, uh, Jacoby Brissett, Geno Smith, Joe Flacco, Andy Dalton, Mike White, Kyle Allen, Taylor Heineke, the aforementioned Taylor Heineke, Blaine Mm -hmm. Gabbert, Chase Daniel, Nick Mullins, Drew Locke. Could Drew Locke be that maybe uh, a potential backup quarterback? I think Drew Locke would be in a good position for that. He's young. His career hasn't panned out quite as well as some would have hoped. He's probably, I don't think he's really seen as being good enough to be a starting quarterback, but also not bad enough to be like shipped off to the XFL or USFL yet. So, and he's young, so he could fill that you know, the younger QB two dynamic. And also he has some athleticism to him. He has a strong, good arm, a strong arm. However, like you and I both mentioned, Taylor Heineke is still one of my preferred choices. He's my top choice provided Gardner Minshew ends up going somewhere to be a bridge QB, which he could absolutely start in this league. Minshew is definitely better than some of the guys who started last year, but also, I wouldn't rule out Mitch Trubisky or maybe uh, Mariota, though he might be a bit higher priced than the Bills might want to pay. Sam Darnold? Maybe? Mm, no. Well, he could. He's also one of those guys who sort of flamed out, and he also has a prior relationship with Allen. So he could come here for a year, reset, him, reset chill with his buddy. Who knows? Yeah. Kind of with what they did with uh, Mitch Trubisky, you know, say, hey, come here for a year, chill, kind of clear your mind a little bit, get some, uh, not some good money, but, you know, we'll we'll take care of you here, and then hopefully that'll lead to more money down the road. Okay, so wrapping this up here, we're just going to encompass this all in one and talk about the offensive line because there are a lot of Free agent offensive lineman, there is one less now thanks to the player that the Bills re-signed on Friday, Ike Butker. So we don't know the contract details of that other than it's a one-year deal. I like that. Butker is back for his sixth. I I couldn't believe when I heard that. I was like, wait, Butker's been here for six years already? And then I had to think back. I'm like, this is really going into 2023. Like Josh Allen, this is his sixth year. It's just crazy. But Butker is back. And I like that, you know, just a depth signing, cheap veteran. He's like I said in the article that I wrote, he's not one of the top linemen in the league, but his teammates love him. Josh Allen even said, I freaking love Ike. 
He's the ultimate teammate. He's a king, whatever he said about him. But they're definitely going to add more to this offensive line. And before I let you guys get into it here, the probably the biggest name here is Roger Saffold with his 44 PFF grade. <laughs> I don't think that he is going to be back, but, you know, maybe somehow Roger Saffold winds up back on this team. And then you have guys like Bobby Hart, Greg Van Roten. Um, who's the other one that I'm missing here? Justin Murray is one. Also. Oh, yeah, Justin Murray. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then I know he's not a lineman, but Tommy Sweeney, too, just, you know, someone who's kind of like a lineman. But, um, yeah, so I really don't see many of these linemen being back. I think the Bills definitely need to make a, a priority to draft one high. And I would like to see them, like you said in your one article, Bryce, bring in some competition for Spencer Brown on the outside, get a, a veteran right tackle. And then maybe they re-sign a couple of those guys, like maybe a Greg Van Roten just because, oh, Questenberry is the other one that I was thinking of. Like maybe they re-sign one of those guys just because they know the system, they're familiar with the the line and Aaron Cromer and Josh Allen, and they probably won't be that expensive, but this is definitely a position group that needs a lot of work. Yeah, I mean, too, the Bills did or tried to do a lot with offensive line. You know, drafting Tommy Doyle, Spencer Brown, they took Cody Ford a few years back. None of them have panned out. Then you look in free agency. You sign David Questenberry and Roger Seffold just for starters. None of those guys panned out either. So at some point, you either got to spend spend big or just draft one really good one in the first round. Because these low-level or mid-level guys that you keep drafting or signing just aren't working anymore. They never have, honestly. Yeah, they're, they're, it's basically like I was thinking about it like a road, right? Like you, you get a road after the winter and you can patch that road and say, ah, oh, this is good. We're just going to patch the holes. We don't need to pave it yet. But I think the Bills are at the point where you just kind of maybe not tear the road up yet because they still have most of their starters back with Dawkins, Mitch Morse. I don't think they're going to trade him or make him a cap casualty. So let's just say Mitch Morse is back, Ryan Bates and Spencer Brown. So I guess it's right in the middle. They don't have to completely tear up the road and repave it, but they have to do a little bit more than just patch it up because that's what they did last year. They patched it up and it wasn't that good. Yeah, I would say that I think the most likely offensive linemen that are free, you know, of the free agents that could come back would probably be Saffold as much as I hate to say it <laughs> because he said he wants to be back in Buffalo. So that means the Bills could probably get him a lot cheaper and they wouldn't have to guarantee him a starting job. He would be here. He's a veteran. You could do a lot worse than veteran depth. And then you have him compete with Bates or Bucker or a draft pick or preferably going out and getting one of the better guards in free agency. If you can get enough cap space together, try to sign someone who is better in free agency, not trying to patchwork like you've been doing the last couple of years. You need to go after one of the better guards in free agency if you're going to go after a free agent at all. 
Yeah. So, I mean, that, I like how you brought that up about Saffold being a backup because he's always been a starter. But maybe as a backup, you would say, okay, I'll if you really want to come back on a cheap deal and know that you're not going to start for us, maybe. Because when you look at it that way, would you rather have Roger Saffold or, or Bobby Hart be a backup interior lineman? I think we would we would prefer Roger Saffold, although Bobby Hart improved a lot this year. No. Just no. I'm cutting you off there. I know, no. I know, I know. I'm just Honestly. saying though. But you could also look and just say, why don't we just draft him and just sign a better free agent? Because Saffold yeah. is worth a bag of chips right now. Honestly, if you were forced to sign any of these uh free agents, it would probably be uh, Questenberry for me just because of his versatility online, complete guard and tackle. So say Spencer Brown or God forbid Brown starts or uh, Ryan Bates goes down with an injury. He can play either position for you and you save a roster spot by doing it that way. I can see that that too. Now, do you guys see them moving Ryan Bates to left guard? And then you have him and Butker as the left guards, and then you just need to worry about the right side of the line? Or do you think they're going to leave Bates at right guard and then maybe get a left guard for competition with Butker and then get that right tackle for competition with Brown? I think I heard that Bates was maybe Bates at it himself or some. I heard somewhere that Bates was better and more effective at left guard than he was at right guard. Like right guard, he was serviceable, but left guard, he was better. So I think whatever puts you in a better position on the line, you do that. If it means moving Bates from right guard to left guard, do that and try to find a right guard. Or worst case, you just stick on at right guard because that's what he played last year and keep him there. And then just try to fill the hole at left guard, but... Well, like I said in the Butker article, right now the Bills have six linemen under contract right now, and then they have a bunch of guys on reserve slash futures contracts. Um, so it's Dawkins, Morse, Bates, Spencer Brown, Tommy Doyle. Let's not forget about him. And then with Ike Butker now. So right now they have six. They're probably going to roll into the season with probably, I would say, at least nine or ten. That's what they usually do, right? About nine or ten, maybe eight. Yeah, going but... to training camp with about ten. Yeah, but they would trim that down because not everyone that they sign is going to make the roster. So if they have six right now, I would expect them to double that between free agency and the draft, where I could see them going into the season with twelve or thirteen, and then narrowing it, d- it down from there. Yeah, that sounds about right. They'll probably. You know, especially like this year where you're going to need a bit more competition, you might want to go a little heavier on offensive line heading into training camp. I think that they usually keep about 10 or 12 in camp and then whittle it down or something. And I'd imagine a couple of those would be uh, UDFAs too after the draft. Yeah. And we also can't forget, I think they signed a couple of the guys from the practice squad to Futures deals too yeah there's yeah, like alec anderson. McMahons, alec anderson then denmark too or yep. yeah and yeah, then there might have been one more yeah so those guys will count towards the roster though i think the main thing is just figuring out whether you want to draft you know highly draft an offensive lineman 
a guard like Torrance or Cody Mock or someone else, or if you want to go after one of the high price free agents or both or whatever, but you got to do something at guard and you got to, you also got to figure out what your, the long-term plan is at center. Well, just quickly off the top of my head, my plan of attack is draft a left guard, sign a veteran right tackle, and then draft another backup and sign another one. So I'm, I'm just going to go two and two and maybe probably even favor the draft a little bit more. But I think that's the main thing. The, the, the main thing is, is that they find a new starting guard. And then, like we said, get that competition for Spencer Brown with the veteran. Um, Bryce, you want to just give us a couple of those names that you wrote about? For what's it? Sorry, you cut off. The uh, the right tackles that the Bills could sign. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you got Dwayne Brown from the uh, from Jets. He's going to be up there in age, but he's probably going to be your best, cheapest option for free agent right tackles. And it doesn't mean you have to start him either. You can roll with uh, Spencer Brown again because I know they love giving everyone three or four chances to start. And then anyone else on there? Yeah, I'm trying to uh, pull it up. My phone's not working right now. I can't remember who else I had in that article. I think it was, what, George Fant? Um, yeah, George Fant. Was... It was at uh, Marcus Cannon, I think, too. Did he have that? Oh, yeah, Marcus Cannon, yeah. He set out the 2020 season and then got hurt last year, so he hasn't really played a whole lot in the last uh, a few seasons, so he might he might not be your best option for right tackle, either depth or starter. But if you're with our cap situation right now, and if you're looking to find a starter, you might be out of luck, honestly. Yeah, that's why I think you have to favor the draft a little bit more here. I think they need to make it a priority to to draft one high. In terms and of that's that, I love Osiris Torrance too. Yeah, yeah. So draft one high, and then try to sign that veteran right tackle, and then fill out your depth accordingly. Whether that's re-signing your own guys, going elsewhere, and trying to get another veteran to come in, or just spending day three picks on building up the rest of your uh, offensive line. So I think that will about do it for all of the free agents and now like i said i want to go back and we did this on the space last week and it was very interesting because there there are a lot of names here and you think oh man like there's so many names how we're going to fill all these but let's actually think logically and financially and how many players the bills can actually resign here so i'm going to go through the list and just like we did last week i'm going to go five at a time and once i get through those five you guys say two or three or whatever your number is out of those five that you think will be back in Buffalo next year. And then for everyone else in the comments, just as, as I'm doing this, maybe if you want to save your comments for the end, just so we're not getting a bunch of numbers here and there, but uh, let's see what we got here. So starting off, Poyer, Saffold, Keenum, Jordan Phillips, Tyler Matikiewicz. How many of those guys do you think will be back? 
of the guys you left listed, I think two or three. I'm going to say two out of those five. Yeah, I'd go two also. Okay, now Edmonds, Crowder, Questenberry, Taiwan Jones, and Sam Martin. I'm going to go two again. I would say three. Two, uh, Questenberry, and Martin. Okay. Now, let's see. The next five, Van Roten, Beck Lawson, Jake Kumro, Dean Marlowe, and Bobby Hart. One. I'll go two. I'll go two. I could see Shaq and maybe Van Roten. I'll, I'll I'm gonna try to like max this out and see what is like the the highest number that we could actually go here. So right now I'm at six. What are you guys at? Uh, did I say what did I say? Like, I think two, I'm at six. Two also. and one. So I think I You're I'm at, at five. five. Okay. Yeah. All right now. AJ Klein, Justin Murray, Devin Singletary, Tyrell Dodson, and Dane Jackson. One. One. Dane Jackson. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. Should we give a do they bring back AJ Klein? I mean, I don't think especially so. if Edmonds is gone, do you just bring him back for that cheap veteran? I mean, we talked about recycling through these old players and enough is enough, but is the money gonna be there? Are you gonna have enough draft picks to replace all these guys? You could do worse than Klein is Dop. Especially when two. you're talking about camp. Like, so I'll say, I guess I'll say two. Okay. Yeah, I'm still sticking with uh, the one. All right, so I'm up to eight then. I'm at seven. And then uh, Cam Lewis, Jaquan Johnson, Tommy Sweeney. None. And don't forget Beasley and John Brown, too. So between Cam Lewis, Jaquan Johnson, Tommy Sweeney, Cole Beasley, and John Brown, how many of those? I'm borderline one, and that would be Cam Lewis, and that's only if they can get him cheap enough, cheaper than the RFA tender. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm go president one, and that's Cole Beasley. I'm gonna go two and Beasley, and then maybe Cam Lewis, maybe Tommy Sweeney. I don't think it's going to be more than two out of that. Tommy Sweeney. Yeah, I'm. <laughs> I know. Watch him be the one where it's like we all want him gone, but they re-sign him because he's a glue guy. And then he's just inactive for every single game. Yep. Like so, being be generous here. To get out of it. Yeah. So <laughs> being generous here. Now it's his turn. Yeah. <laughs> you guys. And then it'll be mine before the show ends. <laughs> okay. You got me now? All right, so. Yeah, I can hear you. Okay. Yeah. So being generous, I have 10. So being realistic, what do we have? Five or six that are going to get re signed? Maybe seven? I think seven might be a little too high. I think it would be more towards the five number. Yeah, it's it's probably going to be five or six realistically. I was just keeping in mind, like you said earlier, and I'll say this for the second time, 
on the show, death, taxes, Taiwan Jones on special teams. <laughs> like he's he's a vet man guy. He knows what his role is. Everyone knows what his role is. You get him cheap. You just keep him there because you know, he's a special teams ace. So Roy had four. Mike says, there goes their internet again, Roy. <laughs> Sorry, man. We'll try to work on it. I did get the upgraded package about a year ago, I think. So it's not upgraded. I don't know, maybe you guys are just bugging into my system and you're making mine worse. I don't know. Kev, you got to feed that hamster wheel, hamster on the wheel. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, just a couple minutes left here. Hopefully no more Wi-Fi issues here. But yeah, so being generous, eight to ten players get re-signed. Realistically, five to seven, I think max, right? Yeah. Five, I'd say maybe six max and go four or five get re-signed out of those ten. So we're, we're all in agreement here, right? If you guys want to post your comments now in the comment section, we put Roy's up. I'll put the other ones up if you guys want to give uh, your numbers here. But the point I'm trying to make is it's far and few between. So look for the Bills to change their roster a lot this year, and that's probably going to come in free agency and the draft, and maybe we'll see with the trades and all that. But this isn't going to be like last year where we're going to be having a lot of reunion tours. And if it is... Then we're in some deep shit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah probably. <laughs> so, all right. Well, uh, while we wait for people to maybe post their comments in here about how many their numbers are, Bryce, do you want to tell the people what you're working on this week? Yeah. So I'm doing a two more free agency target articles. Uh, uh, running back, and then uh, offensive guard. Probably, well, definitely running back. I won't have that many top-tier uh, players. It'll, it'll be some, like, one-year, $3 million-type uh, contracts. All right, and then what, what were the two articles you did last week? So last week I did wide receiver targets and – Offensive tackle targets. Okay. So you're pretty much looking at the uh, offensive side of things, correct? Yeah, pretty much. The four main positions we need on offense. Well, if you're wondering about the defense, I will probably get into that a little bit because I plan on doing two articles this week where I want to first look at how to clear up about $50 million in cap space. And then later in the week, I'm going to come out with another article and say what to do with that $50 million in cap space now or whatever the, the number is. So look for two articles for that. And then in that second article, I'll probably get into more of the defensive players that they could uh, potentially sign and some of the contracts that they could be hanging out or handing out because I want to look at the financial side of this because it's it's all fun and games to say, oh, let's go get Derrick Henry and let's go get this guy and that guy. But we got to look at the money here and do it in a smart way. Yeah, exactly. It's all fine and good to free up money, but then when you spend it on Star Lotulas and Vernon Butlers, it doesn't mean <laughs> jack shit. <laughs> yeah, honestly, yeah. I'm expecting a quiet free agency period for Buffalo because 
you know, we're, we don't have the cap space to be able to make a splash signing like Von Miller last year or Stefan Diggs a few years ago. We're probably just going to sit low and wait for a draft to happen. Yeah. So with that, happy almost free agency. Like I said, a week from tomorrow, we're, we are going to wake up and have good old tampering period be here and all the deals will be coming in and it's going to be a fun ride. And that means it's going to be a lot of content for us between writing and talking about on here because we're going to be tracking all the moves coming up. The one thing that I did want to say is, unfortunately, we do not have our simulator working this year. I know that came in clutch last year. I use that thing like a social media app where I became a little bit addicted to it. <laughs> and I was on there multiple times every day. But maybe that's better for my mental health that we don't have that this year. But you can use sites like Over the Cap to try to formulate these things. So if you guys want to do that, you can jump on there because that's probably what I will be doing. But just wanted to give a heads up that we unfortunately do not have the BF simulator up and ready this year. But uh, I think that don't will yell at us for that either. It's not our job. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we, we just talk about it. Yeah. But yeah, I think that'll do it for the first show. I mean, two and a half hours. We're going to try to keep it under two moving forward. But for the first one, you know, we had a lot to say. I, uh, I'm glad that we got everything out there. We, you know, we got situated here with our first one because next week it is going to be go time with free agency Eve. So, fellas, do you have any more things to add about anything that we talked about tonight or maybe didn't talk about? I think I'm good from the two and a half hours we discussed today. Yeah. I think we did pretty good. Yeah, I don't think there's much left to discuss about what we were about our topics tonight. Not unless we got... keep talking about Stefan Diggs being traded. Yeah, we got another two and a half hours. Come on. Yeah, let's talk about how terrible of an idea that was. <laughs> no, thank you. I, I think with that, we will end it then. Stefan Diggs is not getting traded. So... Yeah, good night, everybody. <laughs> but yeah, um, Zach, Bryce, appreciate you guys for coming on and appreciate everyone for uh, tuning in, whether it was just for a few minutes or for two hours and 30 minutes and again you this is recording so you know you guys can go back and watch any part of this that you want to share it on your platforms we'll probably be doing the same so uh with that thank you for tuning into the first episode the first second run of the writers club on buffalo fanatics but like i said this thing is up and running now so we'll be going every sunday night at 8 30 p.m eastern time can't wait for next week free agency eve should be a good time have a good week, everyone. Go Bills. Go Bills. Go Bills.